Two True Freaks proudly presents Tron. Do you love the Matrix? Do you love CGI? Are you waiting and waiting for virtual reality? Well, guess what? I'm Chris Honeywell from Two True Freaks, and myself and Scott Gardner, we've been there and done that almost 30 years ago, and that was with Tron. Before all this modern hokey pokey stuff that you guys had, Tron is going into the computer and taking us with him, and here we are talking about it today. <laughs> oh man, I have been. Uh, oh, by the way, not just Scott Gardner, but a fully fueled Scott Gardner. A fully this fueled, a fully fueled Scott Gardner. Yeah, this uh, this may be shaping up to be a very old school episode of Two True Freaks. As I am drinking raspberry vodka Ooh. and pink lemonade. Whoa. So we'll see how we'll see where this one takes us. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling no pain at the moment. But yeah, I've been, oh my God, have I been itching to get to this show. And I know that our listeners have been itching for us to get to this show. Yeah, but have uh, a lot of people asking for Tron. Yeah. Tron, Tron, As, Tron. Yeah, well, you know, with the new trailer out for the new film and then our local theater, I was there just a couple of days ago. Quick plug, by the way, go see Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Excellent, excellent movie. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I, I took it because my youngest is a big fan of the books and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. But at our local theater, they, they have promotional stuff up now for uh, Tron Legacy. So I was really excited. And seeing that at the theater, that's what inspired me. I was like, well, if it's up at the theater, then it's real now. It's that close. It's time to uh, stop dicking around and do our massive Tron episode. So here you are. I hope you guys are going to enjoy this. I am super excited for this because, you know, dude, I got to realizing something as I was sitting down to do my notes and looking back on not just the movie, but everything involved with the movie, the, the Tron franchise, if you will. Honestly, I'm not kidding. After Star Wars and Star Trek, I think this is my number three. Huh. I, it's that big for me. It's it's that big of a deal and, and that big of a of a whatever you want to call it in my life. You know, I, I love Tron. I've, I'm such a huge geek for this movie and, and all the stuff tied into it. I'm that excited for it. So, yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't get your, your expectations too high. <laughs> no, no, you know, it's not about expectations so much as that I'm just ready to see it. You know yeah, what I mean? I, yeah, I really don't... Ready to go back into that world, you know? Exactly. I really am going to this movie with no expectations other than to just enjoy myself and be taken back into the Tron world because I'm I'm purposely giving myself a mindset where I, I don't have any buildup. If you know... It, it, that may sound really bizarre, especially for me, but I don't want to go into it with my normal mindset. I don't want to go into it with, like, my new Star Trek movie mindset. You know, whenever a new... And I'm not talking the J.J. Abrams. I'm talking anytime a new Star Trek movie would come out, I would go into it with a certain mindset of, okay, 
it's got to do this and it's got to do that. And it, it, like this mental checklist of right. things that had to happen in order for me to enjoy the movie. I'm not going to do that with this movie. I just want to go revel in the and fact that, oh my God, made a sequel to Tron. Yeah. You know, that's all I want. That's uh, So I'm not going to tear it apart. And the, the one geeky nitpick that I, I was going to have going into it, I are, it's already been spoiled for me. I already know that the game, that Tron 2.0, the, the quote-unquote sequel, is not really going to be in line with the actual theatrical sequel, Tron Legacy. So I'm, I'm cool with that. I just wanted to know. It wasn't even a matter of, you know, oh, if it doesn't tie in, then I'm going to hate it and blah, blah. It was nothing like that. I just wanted to know one way or the other. Does it fit or does it not? I already know it doesn't, so I'm cool with it. I'm, uh -huh. I'm just ready to just see the movie and enjoy it for what it is. And I know... I'm going to love it. You know, I, I know it's just going to speak to me. So, yeah, totally, totally jazzed. Yeah, I remember I, I missed this movie when it came out in theaters because I just heard it wasn't going to be that good. And, of course, it you know, turned out to be awesome. <laughs> I just watched it again last night. So it's fresh, fresh on my head. And I just watched it recently, I think within the past couple months, mm -hmm. and was struck immediately by how far ahead of its time it was in all aspects and uh, how much of the computer lingo in it has now become part of everyday life. Whereas right. you saw the movie, you thought, ah, it's just some bullshit they made up for the movie. You know, they just, uh, you know, it's just like the Framelam valve and the, you know, but, <laughs> but a lot of it was actually kind of, you know, very witty computer talk. And the only people that were getting that those jokes when Tron came out were probably super hardcore pen in the pen protector, right. super build the computer nerds were, were getting right. those jokes. But now, you know, all that stuff is in, in our vocabulary. And I loved just how even in the movie, the re quote unquote real world Especially, there's a there's a scene at the beginning where um, Bruce Boxleitner and uh, and the and the woman are driving over to Flynn's, and all you see out of the back of their car and in the background when they're getting in the car is just sort of blurred lights in the city. It's all yeah. very surreal and abstract, very much like the world of Tron. So everything and every actor in the movie has their analog in the computer world it's mm -hmm. it's just awesome and reality in the real world looks like a, a video game and it's all tied up really really nicely and i think a lot of that went over people's heads when it first came out yeah and may go over their heads to this day i don't know it's it's hard to say there's a lot of people who are like oh it was a cheesy movie but i thought it was kind of fun you know I, it seems to be the general consensus but man i really liked it i really like the, the dialogue is is snappy in it and it's a trite story it's a trite good guys versus bad guys corporate company thing as was the trend in the 80s was you know the bad guy being a, a corporate you know villain so, uh, uh, funny uh, as in it's a lot like Robocop in, in yeah. that way but uh, yeah you're right and you know they screwed over Jeff Bridges and admittedly the stories one thing I noticed was uh, you know Bruce Bach, Bachseitner's character and the woman when when they go and they find Flynn the confront him about whether he's been trying to break in to NCOM he's telling his story and you know Flynn 
had dated the woman before, and now she's with the reliable Bruce Boxleitner. Right. He's very jealous of Flynn, obviously, and Flynn still has eyes for her. And, you know, so there's so the subtext going on in the whole thing, and Flynn is telling a story about how you know in his spare time there he wrote all these video games and. The one guy stole them and sort of went to the top by stealing his video games. And as he's telling the story, Bruce Boxleitner looks over to her and she sort of gives him a nod going, yeah, this is all true. Yeah. So if that was all true, why hadn't she said anything to anybody, you know, to Bruce Boxleitner? I don't know that she was like, so much saying you know, that this really is true. They screwed over Flynn really bad, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think she was just giving him the nod that I, I, I buy this, you know, that, that mm. what he's saying is is perfectly believable or, or whatever. But I just thought, yeah. I just thought they were very quick to immediately just jump into Flynn's aid and be completely like, all right, we'll do, you know, they were, they were throwing their jobs away, basically, immediately after talking to him, which was the right thing to do, but I don't know. Well, it, it was, but I mean, I... a real character situation if people would really have done that, but it was necessary to the story. That was the only element of it I thought that really was kind of weak. You know, story-wise, it wasn't a complex story, but everything sort of tied itself up really good and and was there. But that their motivations were a little bit thin. You know, I thought. Well, I mean, it was a matter of for I don't know exactly what her motivation would have been because her program and and everything with the laser and all didn't seem to be adversely affected by what Dillinger was doing with locking people out. Right. You know, that on that certain clearance. But it was definitely affecting Alan. And so I think Alan sided with the whole thing of let's break in and do some digging around because Which he was weird, basically he, stymied anyway. Yeah, but you could tell his character was just kind of really wimpy. <laughs> you know, he That's was, true, yeah. We were talking That's before true. this, you know, he was he was almost like Boxleitner was almost doing a Clark Kent, you know. Uh, um, yeah. A Christopher Reeves as Clark Kent. He had his glasses, he was pushing his glasses up and not making eye contact with you know it's just almost like the stereotypical wimp in that so but all of a sudden he's putting his ass on the line which you know what's really funny is that even today when i think of bruce boxleitner that character in that portrayal is really the way i think of him but if you look at his body of work elsewhere almost Scarecrow everything else K- is K- yeah he's he's the rugged action right. hero he even looks like that yeah. today and it's funny because that's not how I think of him. I still think of him as Alan Bradley from from Tron, right. kind of the and, nerdy pocket protector computer programmer. And by the roles he was taking, he probably you know would have been, that you would have thought they he might have been more suited for the Jeff Bridges role. But then again, Jeff that's Bridges true. is Jeff Bridges is a very good actor, and I was paying attention in this since he's just didn't he just win he just won the Academy Award, didn't he? For, yes, he did. So. You know, I was paying particular attention to his character, and he really put some thought into, insofar as as much thought as he can put into the characters and situations, but he really did. And, you know, the the scenes where, you know, you could tell they, they both have feelings for each other and Boxeitner's jealous and all that, you know, Jeff Bridges really plays it up. He does a lot of, eye, you know, he's, act, he's really acting, you know. He's putting right. a little extra effort into into everything and when it comes time for him to be a physical actor even in a computer world in a computer context he's very good at the physical aspect of it too you know 
making himself move in a as like a comic book character, a cartoon character, without he's, exaggerating. He's, just a, he's a very yeah. good actor. He's a very good he's physical actor. You know, actor. I mean, Starman yeah. is is all the proof you need for that. Because you you look at over the course of his work and some of the things that he has done, and frequently he is the standout person yeah. in whatever the project is. Because I mean, I look at Tron as a good example. I look at King Kong from 76 as a good example. I mean, he carries that movie. He really does. I'm trying to think yeah, Starman was he, another he, good example. Starman, you know, he should have... I can't remember. I think it did win an Oscar. It was at least nominated. Mm-hmm. It, but, you know, he should have won He should have won an Oscar for that movie because... But it's a genre movie. It was a John Carpenter genre The movie. Jagged Edge? Jagged Edge. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, he was great in that and... Uh, what the hell is the missing? I think is the name of it. The one with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, where he's he's looking for his girlfriend that oh, just up yeah. and disappeared. Yeah, I have And he seen plays that. that super super creepy psycho in that movie. He's kind of like a cross between the character he played in Jagged Edge and the character that he played in Starman because he seems a little bit detached and yeah. and, and inhuman. You know, and it's. Oh man! If, if you did, you say you hadn't seen that movie. No, I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, his portrayal will scare the hell out of you because he's just so creepy, weird, you know. And and it's the kind of creepy, weird where, where you've met people like the character he plays in yeah. that, you know, like at your local mall or something. Just the kind of off person, you know. Like you'll talk to him. And they have that kind of meek, mild, weird thing going on. And you just get that funky vibe like, this person's kind of like not right. He was you very know? quiet. He kept to himself. Yeah. Nice and, guy uh, when you meet him, though. He was friendly enough. <laughs> kept to himself. I think he, he's just one of those guys, you know, one of those actors. Yeah, he's he's a gr- yeah he's, he's one of my favorite. I love the character style actors. And he's one of the uber character actors. Oh yeah, you know, and the, those those guys graduate into the. I mean, Mickey Rourke just graduated into that with um, the wrestler world, you know, where he's just you know established himself as a great grizzled character. Nicholson is the ultimate. He's a mm-hmm. character actor, but he's considered one of you know like Marlon Brando or something like that, who is a character right. actor also. All these guys always pick not necessarily the most dramatic or important story arc character they pick the most interesting off the wall character you know to to sink their teeth into and i like those guys and i like the i like the ones that are even like the tier below them even more you know the um oh what what the hell is the name of the uh, now it's slipping my tongue who played otis Oh, Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty's, you know, the Ned Beatty's and the Chief Will Sampson's and the Scatman Carruthers who always just show up in these small roles, but they're always very interesting. You know, just their the way they are is always interesting. And Jeff Bridges has always been, he's sort of walked that line between that and leading man, you know, but he's right. always had, that's what, and Johnny Depp has sort of carved himself into that territory. He started out being like, he was going to be leading man, ex-teen heartthrob, you know, just sort of shallow right. actor. And he's turned out to be a really good actor who takes on whacked out roles, you know, because they're more fun right. to, to play in. So, And Tron is filled with those. And 
I, 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 I should write all this stuff down, but we'll figure it. You know, you, you probably know <laughs> the, the guy who plays um, the, the old guy. He was on, um, oh, what was the TV show he was on? It's like The Wizard or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he was that, The right? Wizard yeah. of something. Or, he's a classic character actor, and he's just perfect in this, you know. his Both of his roles, you know. Are, are perfect. Everybody is is just sort of uh, you know the evil the evil corporate guy is your standard evil corporate. I I, I just love it. And all uh, well, another thing I love about it is there's a, a lightness about it. There's a humor right yeah. in every aspect of it. Jeff Bridges is in the computer world. Basically, he's almost like a Greek god. And, and there's that religious subtext to it of the users and. Uh, the programs worship the users, and right. it's, it's, it seems like every program has a different user. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were in some polytheistic computer world, and when Jeff Bridges shows up, and he's he's a, all of a sudden he's a, he's you know a Greek god cast to earth basically, and he's but he's he takes it with a grain of salt once he figures yeah. out what's going on he still doesn't take it too seriously he's just like hey you know okay well this is like a big video game i'm really good at video games and you know and of course it, as in all these movies he discovers that he has powers of healing and stuff like, it's very much like the matrix or i should say the matrix is very much like yeah Tron. yeah i that, I only ever saw that movie one time and didn't think all that much of it. But yeah, now that you say that, I do see some parallels there. Well, I wanted to back up to uh, something that you had mentioned, which uh, you know, I was trying to think who are the other really good actors, you know, in this movie. Because I mean, really, there's only a couple even recognizable characters. Most right. everybody else is, you know, got like a bit part or whatever. But uh, you know, you had mentioned David Warner. Yeah, one of my favorite actors i mean and he's another one that no matter what the role is brings you know class and everything to what what he does he's uh he's a character actor but of a different sort but he just he he typically plays a heavy and i love him yeah he's just he's got he's had some shakespearean stage oh yeah you know it's like the peter cushing factor peter cushing's been in all these hammer horror movies and stuff but the reason he's so great is he's got that projected British, you know, that strong projected voice from someone right. who's crafted their bass voice on the stage. And, yeah, he plays a yeah. great heavy. I think one of the, the best moves George Lucas ever made in the Star Wars trilogy, the original Star Wars trilogy, was making all the Imperials, these very stern British actors... And that's what David Warner brings to all of his villain roles is, you know, you see his Sark or his Dillinger in Tron and he could be one of the Imperial officers like in The Empire Strikes Back. He just has that same bearing and that same demeanor and he just makes a hell of a great bad guy, you know? Well, it's really funny because I think the Sark-Dillinger duo of characters is the most interesting duo of all... Because all everybody has their analog. Right. You know, Jeff Bridges' analog gets derezzed earlier on in there, but Alan's got Tron, and, you know, you've got, what, Yori? Yori. And, uh, you know, the old guy who plays the communication hub. Yeah, Dumas. Dumas, that's right. Um, Dumas or Dumont, I can't remember. Something like that, think, anyway. Think, yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, but the, David Warner's two characters, 
are very different. You know, Sark is a lot more humorous and gleefully e evil. You know, he's almost like his id. Right. Whereas, you know, in, in the real world, he's uh, basically a cold, plotting, heartless corporate stereotype. You know, he's right. He's not a very humor humorous person. He's very stern and and corporate and cold and detached. But Sark oh. is loving it. Sark is on the battlefield, you know, mm -hmm. get, getting his blood and, and asking for more. He's just like, come on, who you got for me? You got somebody, you know, the only person he balks at is fighting a user. <laughs> well, it's funny that you, you point that out because that was something I remember thinking, you know, as a kid watching this movie that in a way, the computer counterparts to everybody are almost like the the person that maybe they want to be or something because right. look you know one of the, the the great dualities in that is Alan and Tron you know Alan is this cubicle jockey you know very nerdy very you know brainiac type yet Tron is the blue eyed the action hero, hero yeah. of the movie yeah he he's the he's the uh, the Superman character, you know, he's the savior of this war, more, more like I guess, like a maybe like a Luke Skywalker character, and, and here, because he's the chosen yeah. one that's going to save the computer realm from the evil of the MCP. Right. Here's and Sark is like the the evil side of that. You know, he's the evil action hero, whereas, like you say, Dillinger, his human analog in the real world, isn't athletic or or anything it's like he's restrained. the evil schemer yeah but yeah i love that but here's one thing that the movie recognized that makes it different from star warsy type clones is they realize that alan and tron were still less interesting than jeff bridges yes so jeff bridges <laughs> is the focus of it you know alan is tron the movie's named after alan's character he should right. be the protagonist. He's the guy with the. He's got the girl, at least in the real world, you know. So Al, Alan is like the, He's like the protagonist of this. He's like, he's sort of the innocent that gets drawn into all of it too, you know. He does, who doesn't know anything and then knows everything. Whereas Flynn is intimately involved in it. Flynn well, you know, it's in Dillinger. Yeah, go ahead. it's funny you mentioned that too because that was one thing I always thought the needed changed in this movie was that I think Tron's character needs a different name because I think that the movie should be called Tron. Yet I've always thought of Tron more as the world that they're in. The right. computer world is Tron, which isn't you know, that's not right. I mean in. In the movie itself, the computer world, I guess if it had a name, you'd well, just call it whole, the system. It's the whole Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. Exactly, yeah. Thing. But, but, you know, I still to this day think of it as, you know, the, the world itself is Tron. Yeah, maybe and, they should have called this one Flynn or something. Well, I, I think that Tron is a great name for the movie. I just think, you know, it would have been interesting to call the movie Tron, yet Tron wasn't ever a character it wasn't ever even acknowledged as anything it was just the name of the movie and Tr the tron character had a completely different name you know whatever whatever name they wanted to give it you know security one or some stupid thing right <laughs> you know and and leave tron is like a, a, a as a nebulous concept of what well, what exactly it's kind of like thx1138 although that was the name of the character it was more of a of a comment on the state of that world that everybody had become a number yeah. type of you know 
like an ID. Sta- so something it like stand that. for like total reality of neon or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know. But uh, you know, to this day, I don't think I'm alone in that in thinking like more of Tron as the world yeah. that they're in rather than than the hero and because because he wasn't very interesting at all. But yeah. they recognized that and kept him in the you know in the background. Otherwise, he would have been the guy who jumped into the master control program and. Right, but Flynn's was the whole user slash chosen one character, really. So I think it was very telling that as a child, you know, I I collected the action figures, and granted, I only ever had one opportunity to snap up, you know, as many as I could get at the time. But the ones I got were I got Sark, I got the whatever the the other you know the minions, the red minions with the staff, or I can't remember what they were called. And I got Flynn because, you know, that way you had the main bad guy, a minion bad guy, and the hero. And I never got Tron, (laughs) you know, who the movie's named after, you know. So there you go. Like you say, Flynn was the hero. You know, even though the movie was called Tron, he was the hero. He was what, what it was all about. And he was infinitely more interesting than... The, the guy the movie was actually named after that's that's a trip <laughs> another thing you know the the visual look of tron and i didn't know this until a few years ago it's still many years after i saw the movie but that mobius had a, i knew that sid mead had done a lot of work on it on like the the vehicles and ships and stuff like that but mobius was the one who was sort of responsible for the uh and i think he's he's a french underground cartoonist uh-huh and he was responsible for the characters you know the look of the whole tron suit and all that which makes perfect sense yes now that i know that but i never noticed that until i i i read that and now it makes perfect sense. So they, they, they brought in some really good people to... to I, I, I really... I remember when I heard they were making the sequel to Tron. And it was at the same time that that script was going around. And the script said it was written by Steven Lisberger, the guy who uh-huh. wrote and directed Tron. And right. the rumor going around was he was writing and directing this one too. So that really got me excited because I like it when... Because obviously Tron seemed to be his baby, like the movie he was meant to make. He made it. He didn't really do much after that or before that big time. But that was like his big deal. And he really obviously poured a lot of his time and effort into it. And being the writer and the director, he got to realize his vision a lot more. Right. But uh, I guess he's not directing this one. I can't remember the director's name. Or he, he, he has a hand in it, but I don't he's know. Like that an he's like an executive he producer. Got, yeah. He's like a producer, executive producer. So he's keeping an eye on it, which is good. Or, you know, putting his, maybe he wrote the first draft of the script and it's been rewritten since then or something. But I hope that he's doing a little Roddenberry on it, you know, and making sure that it's his vision. From the visuals I've gotten from the previews, it is definitely feels like the world of Tron updated you know the up, right. the updates in it seem natural and of course it's of it's going to be in 3d imax 3d style so that should be i'm a little bit nervous about that to be honest with you i'm not as leery as everybody else seems to be of the 3d thing i i like it like uh i can tell it's going to be hit and miss because i've heard alice in wonderland is like not even worth seeing in 3d but avatar i thought is worth seeing in 3d 
Well, it's not even that is what what makes me nervous about it is that as awesome as I think this new 3D process is and I really enjoy it and all, you know, I saw a Christmas carol in 3D and the fact that the 3D process kind of mutes the colors and all. Yeah. Worked very well for A Christmas Carol because, well, you know, let's face it, this was a story that took place in the 19th century. Oh, you don't think it's you know, before electric well light? And, well, I don't because if if it oh, does do know. that same thing, if it mutes the colors and it and it dials mm. things down yeah, well, to where you don't have that that sharp neony edge I'll to tell everything, you what, I think then, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be just the opposite. I think. Tron is about perfectly suited for that and I, I know what you mean about the dark muted thing but the thing about this is is you're dealing with darks and bright lights right so you just make those bright lights even brighter you just jazz up the edges of everything that you got lit up turn up that light it'll make the dark seem even darker <laughs> That would work. And, I mean, yeah, and, but that's and, what and I'm concerned three, is, is that 3D, the... it could be very, it could be very effective. And this would be one that I'd want them to actually waggle a little 3D in my face, you know, as yeah. opposed to Avatar where it was, he really held, you could tell he held back, you know, because these natives had spears, okay? And he really kept the temptation down to have spears jabbing in your face. Or flying off the screen or arrows flying off the screen and all that stuff but with this one have at it Haas man yeah I'd love you to know? see a disc coming right at me or something yeah like I that. mean discs and light cycles are made for 3D let, let us have it man yeah absolutely hell I would like to see them go back and, and 3D eyes the original that Tron would cool that would too. be some shit I'd love that that would be, that would be really cool now, did you ever see or ever read um, the novelization by Brian Daly? No, I never did. I, I think that must be kind of a rare book now because that I don't see that one around that often. But I would say if you if you ever got the chance, pick it up. It's been years since I've read it. I wish I could have reread it in time to do this episode, but I just didn't. I I didn't have the time to dig it out. But uh, I remember that was another one of those great books from back in the day where you kind of got the DVD extras out of the book at the time. Because there were scenes that were in the book. And the only one I can remember off the top of my head was the scene. They actually did film it because years later it, it was out there on the internet for a while where you could download two different cut scenes. I forget what one of them was, but the other one was of uh, Tron and Yori back at her apartment. And he actually like takes her helmet thingy off. And there's a, there was a whole scene involved there where she I think she changes her outfit or something like that. That was all in the book and everything. They're both yeah, they're both on YouTube. They're both hanging around on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, there's scene. another. I can't remember what the other one was. There was another scene too. I just can't remember what it consisted of. But uh, yeah, just a couple little cut, you know, brief little cut scenes. It was basically it was a love scene between Tron and Yori that ended up getting uh, getting excised out of the film. And I can see why. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it was. I liked. I liked having the Jeff Bridges character was making some headway with her. Yeah, in the in the computer world, that was a nice little <laughs> shade to Jeff Bridges, you know, to revealing that he did really want to get back together with her. You know, still had interest in, in the computer world. Tron like lurches in front of. <laughs> yes, in between the two of them, when Jeff Bridges like starts heading towards her with that look on his face, he's just like hurl. <laughs> I wonder if there'll be any uh, 
any question in the movie about Flynn's son's mother and all that because I, I kind of wondered if the you know if they'll play on that and I wonder if it'll turn out that uh that the son is Flynn's and Lori's or something like that because uh well I'll, I'll, I'll get back to my my one of my reasons for speculating on that but um now the arcade game did you like the arcade game when that was out? Did oh, you play my that? Oh God! Much? Oh yeah! Remember, we used to play it in Phase all the time. Phase. That's what I was gonna. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is that's where I remember it best. Was uh, it was back by those back checkouts yep. in Phase, and every time we go to Phase, I'd beg my parents for any quarters they'd have on them, just so I'd have another chance to they play had Tron. Tron and and that other one that was one of the um, vector graphic ones where you had the spinning control i can't remember the name of it you spun around a little sort of oh the one that the kid plays in twilight zone the movie right there it has the uh you know you have the little tempest Tempest. yes they had a tempest game there too yeah oh i forgot all about that game yeah i love that game you know the funny thing to admit though i I wouldn't have admitted this when i was a kid still playing tron but I'll, i'll admit it today I sucked at that game. I loved it, no, you were, and I you were loved wasting my I parents' was. money on it. But I, su- I, I could get about three boards in that game. I could clear about three boards, and that was it. By the time you got to the higher levels, the the one that would kick my ass was the tanks. Uh-huh. I always struggled with the tank level, clearing the tanks, and because the first one on the first board, it's you battle one light cycle, you battle one tank. You do the MCP thing and you do the grid bugs. And the grid bugs one was fucking easy because actually um, I have an emulator of that now. And, and everyone's all wipe them out it. right at the beginning. But you one. cannot even fire a blast. You could do the whole use the force thing like in the Star Wars arcade game and not fire any shots and just time it just right. And you can walk right into the, the beam or right. whatever the hell it is, not even shoot a single shot, at least in the first board. And then on the second board, there's a few more grid bugs, and you have to approach it a little bit differently. The MCP cone moves a little bit faster. There's three light cycles, which is still pretty easy if you know the pattern. But then there's four tanks. Or three tanks. Three or four tanks. I think it's three tanks now that I think about it. That's tougher. Then you clear that board, and then it just gets harder. Then you've got you've still got three light cycles, but the pattern's different. The MCP cone is ridiculous fast. There's a lot more grid bugs. And then the tanks, there's even more tanks. I think by that point, that maybe that's when there's four or more. And every once in a great while, I could actually clear that board and get to the next one. And I think that's where on the tank level, you got recognizers. And that was it. That, that's yeah. as far as I ever got in that game. I don't know what's beyond it. Did you ever notice that the the grid bugs in the movie and pretty much in the game kind of look like? And they discovered these, of course, after well after Tron. But the electron microscope pictures they take of viruses. Yes, they take those viruses that look like weird machines, and they look like the grid bugs. They do. Yeah, they totally do. Weird. Weird. Now. This might sound slightly sacrilegious, but the Uh game I actually liked better was Discs of Uh Tron, which I discovered, I'll never forget this. It was when I was going in, uh, I was probably out of basic by then, actually. I was probably actually in the the police academy. 
But it was when I was at Lackland and I was there for, you know, because I stayed there, you know, normally you go to Lackland and you're there through your basic training and then you go on to either your base or whatever your follow-up training is. But because both basic training and the security police academy was there at Lackland, then I just stayed at Lackland and moved basically across the street to the security police barracks. So while I was there and in, when you're in your secondary training, you have a lot more liberties. You know, you got liberties to go freely about the base and stuff like that. And, you know, basically there's a curfew, but that's about it. You know, if you're on your off time, then you can go do basically whatever the hell you want to do. And there was a, uh, I forget what they call it. It's like a rec center or something like that called Chaparral. And it was where you could go and you could dance or play pool or whatever. And they had a bunch of arcade games. And that was the first time I ever saw, I ever laid eyes on Discs of Tron. And I can't tell you the crazy amounts of money I must have spent playing. Because there was nothing else to do, you know. It was either go back to the barracks and read comic books or go to Chaparral and play Discs of Tron. So every spare moment I had, I went and I played the shit out of that game. And I loved it. And I don't care if it sounds like I'm bragging or not. I got damn good at that game. I got really good at Dissatron and loved it. And uh, God, that's a great game. I mean, I love the original Tron. Don't get me wrong, but maybe it was part of the reason. You know, part of it was that I I just kind of sucked at it. But I got good at Dissatron. I loved that game. And uh, I always had the feeling that one was kind of rare because I don't hear a lot of people talk oh, no, about. I never, I've never seen it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that one was awesome. I mean, it was. It was pretty I've much seen just people a, play it on an emulator. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was pretty much just a straight up disc battle, yeah. like in the movie. You know, you stand on your little ring, and the other guys stand on their ring, and you just battle back and forth. But damn, I love that game. But I, I liked it because it it progressed. It wasn't just you know they could have done it really simple and they could have cheaped out on it, but they didn't. You know, they start out where it's just one on one. You know, you versus one other guy, and you you're each standing on one ring. But as you progress through the game, it just gets crazier and crazier to where eventually you get to not only where there's multiple rings, but then the rings change heights and depths. So they're going up and down. They're moving all over. So you've got to jump levels and all this stuff all the while trying not to get hit. You know, not only are you trying to take the other guy out with your disc, but you're trying not to get hit by his discs and then the computer will start to cheat and get really hard where it'll send these other like flying i don't know what the hell they're supposed to be they're like these flying deadly bites or something that would come at you and if they touched you they'd kill you and then it got to a point where you could actually ricochet shots off the ceiling and say it was crazy but oh i love that game it was awesome awesome game well you know there's always been a long tradition except for you tron and Star Wars of movie games sucking. Yes. <laughs> and Tron is just one of those exceptions where most of the Tron games were not half-assed. They were usually even the Tron Atari games were more fun than a lot of the other games. We used to play those for hours. I would say that the Deadly Discs game was, but the other one that Adventures of Tron, even though I played the hell out of that game, that game pretty much sucked because it was it was on an atari 2600 you know well I mean, it wasn't just that i mean even in comparison with the system it was on it just wasn't all that because mm -hmm. it what it really felt like it was it felt like somebody had taken like what was that game like, elevator oh yeah yeah, yeah. hell that you know it's like a cross between like burger time and elevator right. or something 
and they just overlaid Tron elements. Okay, we're going to make this look like a recognizer, and we're going to make this look like whatever. But it didn't really feel like Tron. It just felt like some other half-assed game, you know? Whereas Deadly Discs, you know, oh, that had be. all the elements. Yeah, you were shooting the disc and de-resing guys, and yeah, I loved that game. It, that Deadly was, Discs I, I, was a it, little like uh, Berserk. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. But I like that you could, you know, you got to a point where you could actually teleport across the board. Now and... I'm remembering when you fired in whatever direction you were running. Yeah. So you could mm -hmm. you could fire your disc, but it only went out as long as you held your button down. So you could That's shoot right. it out for just a little while, and it would, if you lift it up on the button, it would shoot right back to you. Yep. Which was kind of neat in those. And the guys changed colors. Right. So that you, you knew, that was how you knew what level you were on, because it didn't, it was one of those, you know, that was back in the day where games didn't have an end. You know, there wasn't a story mode or anything. It was just, you played until you died, you know? And the, the whole thing with that game is the only way you knew what level you were on was what color the bad guys were, because I think that game even came with a little chart that told you right. what the color was. Like, you know, like, you know, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but red might mean that they were faster or threw a different kind of disc or some shit like that. So every color meant something. And you knew that when you got to, I think it was gold or something, when you got to the gold guys, you knew that you were in the shit because these were like the elite or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, great game. Love that game. I could play that one for hours. Hey, we haven't even talked about the music. Yeah. That's a huge part of Tron. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a... It's almost like you can see my notes, because that's actually the next thing in my oh, really? notes was. actually. yeah, it, it literally was. Was The next thing was to talk about the uh, the soundtrack by Wendy Carlos. The record. I just... You know, that was one of those ones I would just listen to it just over and over and over. And it's weird because, you know, I don't really care for, for most everything, you know, most anything else I've ever heard from Walter slash Wendy Carlos, but Tron, it just works for that movie. It's just a, uh, just surreal enough and dreamlike enough that it, it totally fits the whole atmosphere of that. It makes so much of the atmosphere in that movie, I think. It, it oh, yeah. really, yeah, love that. And, and I got lucky enough that uh, I had, you know, I still have my original album, the one that I bought, you know, whenever I bought it, when the movie was out. And I still have the Bally's coupon that came with it. It was this coupon, you know, in the jacket with the record that you could take to like a Bally's arcade and redeem it for like one free play of Tron. And I kept it because the coupon was done like Tron style, had the Tron logo and it said something, you know, it was, so you could tell it belonged with the album. So, you know. Also, there wasn't a Bally's anywhere you right. know, within a thousand miles yeah. of us. Still, even if there had been, I don't think I ever would have cashed it in just because I felt like I should keep it with my record, you know, so that it was a complete set kind of thing. But then years later, somewhere on the cheap, like, a, I don't know, I want to say it was a yard sale or something. I got another copy of the album that hadn't ever been opened or played or anything. It was just, a, a, you know, somebody's copy they just never used. And I picked it up dirt cheap. And ended up selling it when eBay was in its infancy. I sold it to a dude in Ireland for a couple hundred bucks. Wow! Because <laughs> you could not get that album it, at that time. And uh, I, I often wondered what this guy thinks today. Yeah. You know? 
But, you know, at that well, time... There's, there's whole groups of people who used to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on bootlegs of all of their favorite concerts and oh, videos, yeah. you know. You know, I've seen people selling bootleg videos of movies and concerts for 50, 60 bucks. Now you can go on YouTube and watch them for free, and they're actually better <laughs> quality than the shitty videotapes they used to run off. So, yeah, I kind of like I just, that. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I've always hoped that this guy, whoever he is, I hope that like that couple hundred bucks was just like chump change to him because I'd hate to think that, you know. When the, when the CD eventually came out. And, and well, I just want to, if anybody from Disney responsible for such things is listening, thank you so much for finally was, putting that out yeah. on, on CD, you know. But, but I just imagine this guy walking into a record store like a couple years later and going, oh, God damn it. son of a bitch. He might not have been getting it to listen to. He might have been a vinyl collector and, and knows that that was a rare piece of vinyl and was a... Or was a super Wendy Carlos collector. And it's funny that you say you don't really like a lot, because a lot of Wendy Carlos's other stuff sounds like Tron. There's, as a matter of fact, a lot of the pieces in Tron, if, you, if I've heard other stuff that she's done that were basically just, you know, something that she, when she got the job for Tron, she said, oh yeah, I have that piece, and she would put it. Right put it in there yeah you're absolutely right because uh when the movie came out on laserdisc and i forget what year that was i was in video when that happened i want to say this was probably early 90s i'm guessing maybe like 93 94 something like that um there was a track on there that was sort of a bonus track and it was it became known as deleted light cycle music and what it was was it was the the light cycle sequence of the movie you know the big light cycle battle in the movie was actually scored but then the music was not included in that so if you watch that scene there's not music up until the point when they actually leave the game grid illegally yeah and then it just sort of yeah it, yeah it fades in yeah yeah but that scene actually was entirely scored from the moment that they they um, transport to the game grid. So that deleted music was included as some sort of special feature or something. Some maybe it was an Easter egg or something. I, I don't. I never actually saw the laser disc. I'm just going from what I know about it. Um, but it was on there. Well, Wendy Carlos had an album in 1984 called Digital Moonscapes. And track eight of that was called IO. Now, Digital Moonscapes, kind of imagine Pulse the Planets, but done for the moons of um, Jupiter. And that's kind of what Digital Moonscapes was. So every track was the name of a moon of Jupiter. Well, track eight was called IO. And it is virtually the exact same piece of music as deleted light cycle music. I'll, I'll play them both so that you can listen to it. I'll, I'll sneak them in somewhere during the course of this show so that you can hear them. But it's it's just slightly reworked, but it is almost note for note the exact same piece of music. And it's really nice. I, I really enjoy that album. So There's some of her stuff in Clockwork Orange that even has little hints of where we go into, into Tron. Mm -hmm. I love the Clockwork Orange. See, that's like, that's like primarily the, the one I was thinking of. Bach, you know. Yeah, that and was like primarily that. the one I was thinking of, and I, I honestly, I don't like that one very much. 
But, uh, you know, it's not like I'm a hater or anything. It's just I've never heard anything else by her that I've liked as much or that that really struck a chord with me as much as, as Tron did. Although I do really like Digital Moonscapes. That's a good one. One disappointment about the, the soundtrack album of Tron, and I think you will agree with me, is Journey. Yeah. The Journey song thrown in there. And I found out the story behind that. It wasn't originally going to be a Journey song. It was added at the last minute. Supertramp was supposed to write a song. Oh, no. There and they backed out. I like Supertramp. I actually own every Supertramp album, if you can believe that. I, I, I like them, too. I but like here's them a lot the... better than Journey, let me tell you. Yeah, me, too. I like Journey, and it's not that I don't like those two tracks, but here's the alter, ultimate irony to me is that, like you say, it was a last-minute thing. They throw it in there. It was the two tracks that I always fucking skipped when I would play <laughs> yeah. the album. And then when I eventually got it um, on CD and then ripped it to the computer so I could play it either on my computer or on my MP3 player, I left those two tracks off. Well, the ultimate irony is the fact that this movie, or excuse me, that this soundtrack didn't show up on CD for as many years as it was, was because of the fucking journey thing. That's what's holding it up. So the, the soundtrack was being held up from CD release for two tracks that... Ultimate, I would I would be willing to bet money that nine tenths of everybody that wanted that could give a fuck about oh, fuck the journey, journey tracks and more, yeah. man. I fucking hate so. journey, man. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, that really pissed me off. But they threw us a bone. Don't because stop they... believing, guys. Fuckers. <laughs> well, you know, I I never liked the song. The uh, what was it called? Uh, Only solutions. I mean, it's okay. But I did like the other one. What, what the hell was the name of it? Was like I think it was called 1990s theme. That one was okay. It, it was all right. I mean, it's not great. If you say so. But well, it, it wasn't a journey song though. It was like, like an, an it was like yeah, an instrumental. So it wasn't so bad, and it actually kind of sort of worked. It was missing the worst element of journey, which is Steve fucking Perry, little fucking dwarf. <laughs> oh, you really don't like Journey. Fuck Journey up there. I like the asses. Journey video game, though. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, 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 because they died at the end of it invariably. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I work the- at a rest. I work at a bar where, like, <laughs> douchebags like to go. And where douchebags go and you have an internet jukebox. Oh, there you go. Journey's They get drunk. Okay. And before you know it, who's just a small town girl? And we have karaoke too, which means you're invariably going to hear that in fucking Bon Jovi. Johnny used to work on the docks. Fuck all that that shit up there. Well, you know that I'm going to have the Journey song playing underneath this whole segment. Yeah, just just like you use the Enterprise theme to taunt me. They're cut from the same. No, not me. I would never do that. Fucking asinine cloth. And, you know, I was very gratified to go off topic for just a second that somebody did write into our Gmail account and mention their hatred of the Enterprise theme, too. So I'm <laughs> glad I'm not alone. No, you are. No, you're not alone. I by, am not alone. But they did throw us a nice bone when when DC or yeah, I was going to say DC when Disney rather finally did free everything up and they released the, the Tron soundtrack. There were three new tracks on it which were which were really awesome it was uh, one called tron action uh, my personal favorite of the three was the one called break in which is the part of the movie where it, it's like sneaky music it's where they go back to Encom uh-huh. and flynn 
Alan and, and Laura are sneaking in. Yeah, it's your classic ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's great. I love that piece of music. And it runs from where they're at the door, the giant door, until she sits Flynn, yeah, Flynn down at her door. station. Yeah, I love that part because this guy's a little like Santa Claus. I love that part. <laughs> and she sits him down at the laser and says, you know, this is my life's work. Don't spill anything. So, you know, that's a that's a pretty good chunk of, of music from the movie that they throw in. And then there was also uh, Anthem for Keyboard Solo was the uh, was the other one. So, you know, some nice little uh, some nice little uh, Easter egg type of things they threw in there. I can't remember if deleted life cycle music ever did make it onto one of the official soundtracks. But I know that there are various um, bootlegs out there that you can find in various places. Of the show. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if if you're into, you know, if you have an aversion to the whole downloading thing for whatever reasons, like I say, hunt up digital moonscapes because that that eighth track is virtually the the same exact thing, and that whole album's worth owning. I think. I think that's a really uh, really good album. Pulse of Planet Sweet is where I I listened to that a little while ago, and I was I've been meaning to tell you you got to listen to it again. The whole first twenty minutes of it. I swear, John. I don't want to accuse John Williams of lifting stuff from it, but I think he was vastly inspired by the planet for Star Street, Wars. For Star Wars, the Star Wars soundtrack. Oh, yeah, because uh, Lucas wrote Star Wars while listening to Pulse, okay, and, so and was using that as a temp track. Because really, the whole first twenty minutes of the Planet Suite could literally be the Star Wars soundtrack. It could, oh, yeah. it could fit in there in tone, theme, and... No, I mean, there were parts I was listening to going, oh, oh, oh my God, this is, you know... So... Absolutely. Just, just a fun little thing to listen to, and you can feel classy for listening to classical music. Same with Wendy Carlos. If you want to go into the Wendy Carlos catalog, you can listen to Switch on Bach and feel classy you're listening to classical music and you're listening to history as it was like the first big electronic music thing that happened you know it was kind of a sensation and it's that it's time well, i think this would be a oh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead no, that's all. That, that was an end i think of this would be a this would be a good place to take a little break we'll come back and we'll talk more about tron both the movie and the uh the franchise so to speak and uh, maybe even uh, take a, a little speculative look at uh, Tron Legacy Within the NCOM 511 computer, there exists an unknown civilization which man is about to enter. A startling new world where time and distance defy the laws of logic. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. Kevin Flynn, computer genius, searching for answers inside the system. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Stop. I'm warning you. I'm going to have to put you on the game grid. Propelled into the digital world of the computer itself. Oh, man, 
this isn't happening, it only thinks it's happening. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. The journey begins across an electronic sea on cycles made of light. Get them! Tron. Enter its world this summer. Program, I will crush you! Inside every computer system lives a world much like our own. How did you know I could hold my own out there? And corruption threatens the code of humanity. This is not just a game. Mercury! <laughs> this spring, return to the world of Tron.
Okay, and we're back. And I'd just like to say, Scott Gardner here. Kids, get more vodka in you because, you know, vodka, it does a body good. Yeah, it sure does. It does a liver good. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you, it's been a while since I've had some vodka. Does vodka make you hot? Because I had to go. <laughs> you getting hot flashes there, Gramps? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am getting hot flashes, actually. I had to go change my shirt. And as I was changing it, yeah, my... just throw some ice in that glass. And oh, there's just... plenty. You don't hear the ice? I, was I can hear that. it clinking, yeah. You hear it? Okay, there you go. But uh, as I was changing into my ever awesome Star Wars weekend shirt, I got to thinking, you know what Tron needs? Tron needs some freaking t-shirts, man. I've never had a Tron yeah. t-shirt. I would love a Tron t-shirt. Why didn't they make... Yeah, I mean, Tron, you would think that would be a natural just to print the pattern of the Tron chess piece on a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, as I <sighs> What was a cool t-shirt my, that would be. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, praying that this new movie... You know, whether it's the biggest thing that's ever been or whether it tanks, I'm just hoping that they merchandise the living hell out of it because... They will, and you'll probably get some old school Tron merchandising too because that's a popular... There's all those those chains where all the kids, high school kids, go to buy their t-shirts and stuff are making... Yeah, well, Hot Topic. Well, reminds, and actually, they've God, come out with Star that. Star Wars shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, now that you say that, I have to eat my words because I do, now that I mentioned Hot Topic, I remember the last time I walked by a Hot Topic, they actually did have a T-shirt of Tron that was the cover of the album, where it was it was kind of the Luke and Leia, the classic Luke and Leia, right? Quote, with Tron him with his disc over his head. Yeah. She's at his feet like Leia was with Luke. Yeah. So I, I, I take it back. But the problem, the reason I didn't get it is it was like fucking $25 sure. or $35 or something. It's crazy expensive. But yeah, I take that back that, that there hadn't been Tron stuff. But um, as I was sitting down and making my notes for this show today and things I wanted to talk about, I, I made a note about the general overall lack of merchandise despite the high interest in this movie. But then I got to thinking about that and thinking, you know, is that really true? Because, you know, when you consider that this isn't Star Wars, there actually was a pretty decent amount, at least for a while, because, you know, I got the action figures. Yep. And while we were on break, I dug down. um, I have one that's uh, carded, still on the card. Here's the funny story with this one, though. This one is Tron who I didn't have when I was a kid. He was the only one I didn't have. And what they put out was uh, they had Sark and Flynn, which I had. As, I still have those, and I still have their accessories, which was the glow. And the, their disc glowed in the dark, and then the painting on them of the lines, you know, from the movie. Yep. Um, they glowed in the dark. The bad guy, remember, I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> it's Warrior. That's why Warrior. I couldn't remember his name. That was Warrior. That's what they called him. And he had a glow-in-the-dark staff. Don't we all? And uh-huh. the only one I didn't have was Tron. So a few years ago, I was at that—I um, can't remember what the hell the name of it is—but there's a flea market in North Georgia, about three quarters of the way to my parents' house. That uh, anybody that lives in Georgia is listening to this. It's the one with the cow, the giant cow out front. That's the one I'm talking about. Can't remember the name of it. Somebody will somebody will write in and let me know. And the, there used to be this guy there that sold vintage, vintage toys, just zillions. I mean, anything you would possibly want, this guy had it. And I was there one day, and he had Tron toys on the card and everything. I'm freaking out. 
how much are these? And I can't remember how much I paid for this, but it was dirt cheap. I mean, I'm thinking it was like three bucks or something. And I'm like scooping armloads of these things, thinking I'm going to buy every fucking thing he's got here and make a fortune. Cause this, obviously this guy doesn't know what the hell he has. And at some point, just before he was going to ring me out, I suddenly realized what the deal was. These are um, reissues. It's not actually an original. But damn if it doesn't look. Oh, I, I see. What, it's on the cover. It says 20th Anniversary Collector's Edition. So, the, you know, like the DVD, this came out, you know, when that DVD, that 20th Anniversary mm-hmm. DVD came out. And that's what finally clued me in on it. But you look at the rest of it. And except for that, you'd never know it wasn't the original. I mean, it's an exact duplicate of the original packaging and everything. They probably just fired up all the, <laughs> you know, they probably yeah. just got the original printing stuff and, yeah, just added that to it. And it probably, you know. It's awesome, though. Because uh, now I have all the figures, although, you know, one of them is, is still on the card. I'll probably never take him off the card. And they, they even had the they had a light cycle. It was a yellow light cycle. I never even saw I still to this day have never seen one in real life. But I always wanted to get the light cycle just to have one. But that that's all they put out. They had the four figures and they had the one light cycle. So I'm hoping that when the new movie comes out that they'll have, you know, figures and light cycles and maybe a playset or something. I, I would buy all that shit. I'd probably even play with it, too. <laughs> There's probably going to be a damn good video game coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading something. There is supposed to be a video game. I'm sure there's got to be. Paul, but yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you know, there was that sequel game, the 2.0. And uh, I would just, I would recommend it to, to anybody. If you're, if you're a fan of uh, Tron, if you're a fan of uh, first-person shooters... If you just want to play a really fun and very unique video game as far as the sound design and the overall gameplay and just the whole way it's created, I, I would highly recommend that game. And I would imagine that you could buy it today for a song because they put it out for PC. They put it out for Xbox. It does not play on the 360, by the way, um, but it is out for the original Xbox. Um, there was even a Game Boy game. Uh, I think it was an advanced game. It only shares the name, though. This, the name is the same, but the Game Boy game is actually completely different from the uh, from the PC and Xbox game. But damn, it was cool. And it uh, Bruce Boxleitner returns and does the voice of uh, of Alan. Um, Cindy Morgan returns, and she does not play Laura or Yori, but she plays a character called Mathria, who is a um, She's basically like an artificial intelligence created by Alan. That Rebecca, what, what'd you call it, Stamos, that played Mystique in the X-Men movies. Uh-huh. She voices a character called Mercury. And uh, th- basically the story with that one is that Bruce Boxleitner, Alan, uh, his son is working with, you know, he still works at NCOM, and his son, Jet, is like this up and coming he's very much like Flynn he's like the up and coming hot new programmer you know computer gamer guy whatever at Encom and they're on the phone to each other and they have kind of a strained relationship that you pick up on right at the beginning of the game and something happens and these people bust into the lab and something happens to Alan 
and he disappears. And by the time Jet gets down to the lab, his father's gone and he's trying to contact Mithria to find out, you know, what's happened to my father, what's going on. And while he's there, Mithria says, you know, we need you, there's trouble, whatever. And she secretly fires up the old, um, that digitizing laser from the first movie. And just as Jet looks up and realizes, hey, what the hell is that? Zap, she zaps him and he is pulled into the computer world and that's where the game starts. And then you actually play as Jet through this game and I, I found it really engaging I know I've you know heard other people that didn't seem to get that much out of it or thought that it was a standard shooter or whatever but I just liked that I thought it totally nailed the look and feel of Tron I mean the, the sound design is great the score to it is great it's not Wendy Carlos but whoever it is is totally aping the sound of the soundtrack to the movie and everything and uh Damn, I got a, I got a kick out of it. I really, really enjoyed that game, and I would highly recommend it because I'm sure you could buy it for a song today. Because yeah, it's, it's cheap. Yeah, it's several years old now. I, I bought the because I played it on PC when it first came out, and then a couple years ago, um, I bought it for uh, for Xbox. And I want to say I paid maybe three bucks tops for it. So I mean, you can buy it cheap, and it's well worth it. As a matter of fact. I played it for several hours today before uh, we started recording this episode. That's funny. Just to kind of refresh myself, because I couldn't remember what the setup story was. So I started playing it. Just, I was I, I put it in and started it intending only to see the beginning, uh, what do they call it, cutscene movie. And right, then I right. playing it for like, I don't know, four or five hours just because I got pulled right into it because it's so much fun. But uh, I got a big kick out of that. I was trying to think of other things tron had for like merchandise and really the only thing i can think of is um you know back in the day anyway when when the movie was originally out was like trading cards yeah well you know i've got almost a full set of tron trading cards that i got from you because you had so many doubles of them yeah because i I think you gave me your triples as a matter of fact is what i think i got and it was almost a complete set they were super hard to find they were a little more expensive than, well, they were either more expensive or you didn't get as many in the pack. I think you didn't yeah. get as many yeah. cards. Yeah. And God damn, was that a hard set to collect. And, you know, you got to remember, this was back in like pre-eBay days. You know, this was like, unless you knew somebody else that was buying the same cards, you didn't even have anybody to trade with. So I was literally going to like Mike's Quick Stop you know every week or so to see if they got a new box in so that i could buy as many as i could afford trying to build a complete set and eventually i did i today i do actually have a complete set and what's funny is there's actually i can't remember what number it is but there's some number in that set that's misprinted so that you actually have two of the same number i want to say it's like 16 there's like two 16s and one of them's supposed to be a 19 or something like that. I can't remember. But great set of cards, great set of stickers. Love those things. And damn, that was a hard. I, I've always wondered what they're worth just because they were so rare back then. I don't know if they had eh, any. I'll kind tell of you. Hey, but they're not that. They're, they're not that. Cards in general are just not that valuable. Yeah, Except for shame. Star Wars cards are kind of like currency, where the general rule of thumb is Star Wars cards are worth a buck a piece. It <laughs> seems like, from my looks at eBay, 
Even Unless you have cool. a full set, and the full set, you can get like two bucks a piece for selling a full set of something, but hmm. um, cards are just not... I, I was at a garage sale a couple summers ago, and my roommate and I picked up... They literally had a cardboard box full, and the girl collected them and, you know, divided them. You know, she just had the sets rubber-banded and stuck in there, and I got all these cards for, for a a song they were you know she each set she was selling for i think like 350 or something like that and i wow. bought a whole pile of them and you know they gave me a break on them even with that so i had charlie's you know i was getting some charlie's angels cards and peewee herman cards you know just all over the place the the only thing that was really not represented there of course was star wars cards but she had close encounters card you know every movie in those days had <laughs> a card set that was even remotely genre-like and even a lot of the TV shows like Happy Days and stuff had cards and Mork and Mindy are a, are a famous yeah. set of cards. She had many, many sets of Mork and Mindy cards. But yeah, and I and when I looked them all up on eBay, it was like, yeah, they're not really worth that much. Not that I really wa wanted to sell them. I love that stuff, you know. I love having... Yeah. But still, it's nice, you know, if it Well, if like it has the complete set of Michael Jackson cards, I, <laughs> I don't really care about that, you know. <laughs> but no, but I, I, I would have really have thought something like uh, like Star Wars cards or Tron cards or Star Trek the motion picture cards. I would think that they'd be worth a lot of money. But, yeah, you're right. It's That's weird. I wonder if they it's were just mass the produced. The they were, yeah, they yeah. were mass produced and they were made to collect. Yeah. They weren't made to be played with. They they weren't part of a card game. They were made to be collected. So that's what people did with them. Yeah. They got them in, and collected them and a lot of people got them and collected them. So they're not that rare really. That's I my was, theory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I I would imagine that the 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 ready availability of these movies now on DVD probably plays heavily into that. Because, you know, again, this was back in the day when yeah, but they're in they're an antique collectible world now. It's not like somebody wants to get the cards so that, like we did, so you could go sit and finger through them and relive the movie. You know, they, right? They, that's they, what they, I mean. Yeah, they want to get them now because it's a collector's item. You know, or or they or they'd be like us where it's you know nostalgic for them to pick them up and smell them and go, oh, I can almost smell the gum on them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ever tell the story on the show that I, I took my my Tron figures to uh, to Disney World with me? I think I did tell that story. Before. I think you did. I think I've seen some of those pictures too. Yeah, because they, you know, people do that when they when they stay on property. They'll uh, a lot of times in the in the window of their hotel room, they'll have like a bunch of like stuffed animals or you know whatever you know they'll they'll bring things with them or they'll create little scenes or whatever in the windows i've seen some really elaborate ones that people had done and i was like you know you know because i wasn't you know i'm not like really like a mickey mouse kind of guy so i didn't have like stuffed animals of, of any characters but the you know if there was one disney property i loved from childhood it was tron and i had those figures so one of the times you were down there i was like I'm just going to take my figures and do that in the window. I don't care if it looks geeky or what. And I loved it. And we actually got a lot of comments. People going, oh, Tron, yeah, that's awesome. That's, I thought that was really cool. Speaking of uh, of Disney and the Disney parks, 
I, another big hope of mine is that if these movie, you know, this movie, and then supposedly they're wanting it to, to spur a whole series of movies, you know, possibly duplicating like the the Pirates of the Caribbean success. I'm hoping that maybe that'll translate. They get a ride or parks, yeah, because up till now the only thing there had ever been was there was a brief, I guess you'd kind of call it like an overlay onto the old people mover right. attraction at Disney at uh, Disney. Yeah, like Band. they put on the, the like they put on the buses these days. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're do- have you seen the pictures of they're calling them trauma rails now. They took the monorail and put those light cycle overlays on them. That's cool. Yeah, now they're calling it the Toronto Rail, but yeah, they they look really cool. And I forget which parks that's at. That's my wife says it was at Disneyland, but I thought it was at Disney World. But I can't. Anyway, if you if you Google that, Google Toronto Rail, and check out the pictures, they look really cool. But yeah, they uh, on the on the old People Mover at Disneyland, there was a section. Um, well, as you were riding it, where you went through the old carousel theater, that you actually went into the world of Tron, and it had the MCP saying something about you know beware users or something like that, and it it played like like the light cycle sequence of the movie as you were going through this dark section of track on the People Mover, and I'd love to see pictures. If anybody has any pictures or video of that. And can send me a link. I'd love to see it because all I've ever experienced of it, you know, because I've never been to Disneyland, is uh, I have the audio, and I'm going to play that right here. Warning, you have invaded the electronic realm of the master computer program. Prepare for the game grid of Tron.
You have escaped Tron's game grid for now, users. But take heed. Next time you may not fare so well. So that was real short. I hope you like that. But that's all there's ever been of Tron officially in the parks other than uh, you know we were talking about merchandising there there has been some cool merchandise of tron you know a little little bit here and there over there mostly like pins like those collectible trading pins that everybody seems to be into when you're at the parks uh-huh some really cool ones uh there was a thing a while back i don't know if it was uh i don't know if it's a what, what do they call it like a mini fig or big fig or statue or maquette or whatever the hell it was, but it was a Mickey dressed in the Tron outfit that looked really cool. But that thing was like crazy expensive. Somebody through the forum or somewhere had sent me a link to it when it was brand new saying, hey, here's something that you'll want to buy. And I was like, yeah, if I knock over (laughs) a liquor store or something, (laughs) something, yeah. But it looked cool though. It was, uh, you know, it was a little like cartoon style Mickey Mouse, but he was all dressed up in a Tron, you know, the glowing Tron outfit and holding a disc and all that. It looked really cool. Make a make a nice conversation piece or something like that. But I don't have that kind of money for uh, a conversation piece, especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. But it looked cool. But yeah, I, I would love to see. Uh, I'm I'm really hoping that they go hard and heavy with the merchandising. I don't usually like that sort of thing because every time I go to a store and I see like the latest movies coming out, you know, and you you walk through the toy section of Walmart or something, and they've got 60 gazillion Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes figures or something. I'm just like, oh God, you know, give it up. You're never you're not going to be the next Star Wars merchandising action figure phenom. But in this case, I hope they totally try to do that, you know, because I, I want to scarf that shit up. You know? Yeah, uh, ho- hopefully you can afford. It. <laughs> hopefully yeah. it's not super expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's true, but. Yeah, we'll probably be able to get some Tron cereal or something like that. It's some yeah. Happy Meal toys at least. <laughs> what? Did you get a chance to read that uh, comic book series I sent you, the Tron? No, uh, not yet. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the little Easter eggs in that series, I can't remember what issue it is, but uh, there was a part where one of the guys, one of the characters, is watching TV and eating cereal. And the cereal is deadly discs. I got a oh really? It got a yeah. I thought that was great. I was, oh, that was cool when I saw that. Yeah, he was eating a box of uh, of deadly discs. It looked like uh, well, you know, your traditional like Lucky Charms knockoff when some new movie comes out. You know, uh huh. See three POs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I finally read that. I can't believe I've, I've had that forever. Well, the the thing was is I didn't have all the issues. I had like. One, two, three, and five. And it was a six issue mini, so I finally just, you know, I, I gave up trying to find four and six, like in the store or cheap online or whatever. So I finally just downloaded the CBRs so that I could read them before doing this this episode because I really wanted to have, have read that and be able to talk about it. And I have to say, it's not like it was horrible or anything, but I was kind of disappointed. It's, it's not horrible, but it wasn't really all that great either. And now I kind of understand why maybe Disney didn't care so sort much. Of, yeah, sort of avoided it. Yeah, yeah, they skirted that continuity because although I am disappointed if, if the game itself gets entirely bypassed continuity-wise, I can see where this comic book series, they would not care because it was, it was kind of wonky. It was kind of weird. 
Um, I'd still recommend if you can find it on the extreme cheap, and I'm talking like all six issues for like le- you know a buck or less a piece. I'd say pick it up and give it a try, but you know don't don't pay a lot for it because it was it was eh. The art was good. I just thought the story was kind of bleh. You know, it's kind of s- standard. I saw some copies of it in that comic shop I was in in Vermont. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. The only reason I didn't buy it is it was like the last three without the first. Oh yeah, ones or something. You know, so I was just like, yeah, I, don't yeah. Know. I can't imagine being thrown into the middle of that story because I read it from start to finish and was still confused as hell. But the the story of it was that Jet gets. He either goes back voluntarily or he gets pulled back into the computer world. And this this was my problem with it, is that the entire story is one of these what exactly is going on, what's real and what's not kind of stories. And all six issues keep you guessing right up until the end exactly what is happening. And even at the resolution of the story at the very end, you're still not exactly sure what was real and what wasn't because so much of the story is involved with his memory being corrupted and something happened to him in the process of being digitized so it made for a very disjointed read you know i know that that was the feel they were going for was that keeping the reader just as disoriented as the character but that only works to a certain point you know if you get if you cross the line into just pure confusion then you frustrate the reader and that's how i felt i felt frustrated like i get what you're going for but you're not giving me enough to work with kind of thing so uh-huh. like i say i would recommend it on the cheap if you're a diehard tron fan that just really wants to check it out but don't expect great things other than the art the art was fantastic but the story was just kind of like eh, it's okay i was really bummed to realize recently that uh my kids traded in their uh, Kingdom Hearts one and two game not long ago to I don't know oh, about really? something else, and I never got a chance to play Kingdom Hearts two, which was the one that had Tron World in it. You could actually go to Tron. Oh, a whole section of that game in Tron World, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Box Lightner voiced Tron in that too. And uh, I remember the kids telling me how awesome it was and all that, but I never did get to play it. And then they traded it in, so I probably never will now. But I tried to play Kingdom Hearts 1, and I got, I don't know, two or three levels into it and just kind of lost interest. It was okay, but I didn't like all that manga shit that was going on in it. You know, that, what the hell is it, a Final Fantasy or whatever? I just, right. uh, that kind of lost me. I didn't really care about that. I wish it had been more just pure Disney, you know, journey through the Disney catalog or whatever. But it was, it was cool. I mean, the graphics were great and all that. I just, the gameplay was just kind of like, eh, whatever. But uh, that's about all I got as far as my wild ramblings. Now, uh, the movie, man, the sequel. I what can't wait. Um, it looks to be paying close attention to maintaining the feel and the ideas of the original. I'm glad it's not a reboot. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that Bridges and Boxleitner are are up for the for the job. So I I really, basically Jeff Bridges being involved is my best hope because I imagine, especially since as you were saying before, he was saying nah he wasn't really interested in doing it again. That means there was probably a good script. He saw a script and said okay hey that's something I can work with. Right. It could be potentially very interesting. I'm um, excited. I I'm. I'm excited just for the simple fact, even when I bought the 20th anniversary DVD and saw the first tease, 
that they were doing something. And I, now that I think back on it, I think that tease actually turned out to be about the game rather yeah. than about this new movie. But still, just that there was a tease and they, there was something out there called Tron 2.0 or Tron 2 or something sequel-esque. Ever since that moment, I've been jazzed. But I, it was one of those things that uh, until I saw the first trailer or a- actually until my ass is in the theater seat, I'm not really going to be able to to believe it to really wrap my mind around it so i am so freaking excited that there's another movie i i'm just so worked up about this because i you know it's one of those things that i i understand that to the rest of the world it's it's not as big a deal as as we've made it out to be you know because it it ultimately you know it wasn't like it was a flop or a failure oh, financially some- or anything but it wasn't when they had that first bootleg preview out, that audience went berserk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's more of a cult classic. You know what I mean? It's it's not like it was ever Star Wars. You know, it was it was very much yeah. it, it had its small little group of diehard fans kind of thing. So I can understand intellectually why, you know, there weren't ever, you know, there wasn't ever a comic book series or a TV show or more movies or whatever. But still, all these years... I'd hoped and hoped and hoped, and now finally, you know. Well, I'm hoping that it's 30 years ahead of its time. Yeah. And that it comes out and all the critics don't like it. They go, ah, it doesn't make any sense. Now the original Tron, now that was a classic, blah, 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 you know. This, and yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I'll know it's probably a good movie. Right. Well, I think that would be a double-edged sword. I don't want to see it... I, I see what you're going for, but I don't want it to be in that aspect if it fails. You know, I don't want them to, to not understand it and, and it's 30 years ahead of its time yeah, in the but, sense that it ends up failing. And but you know takes, what? The critics don't dictate that. I mean, you know, there's so many shitty movies come out that the critics just oh, yeah. go, oh, what a shitty movie, and it still is number one in the box office. I right. Think, so, you know... <laughs> Well, no, what I meant was I, I don't want it to be one of these movies that comes out and it's not until 20 or 30 years later that people look back and appreciate it, like Tron, you know? Yeah, but sadly, Tron that's a lot those... of the stuff we like. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. I want it to do very well. You know, I want it to be a big success because I want to see more of it. But, yeah, that is that could be a double-edged sword because then if it if it is a big smash hit, then that means it's appealing to everybody, which means it may contain elements that we, the, the geek, diehard purists and all that, may not dig on as much. So, yeah, it, it, it could totally be a double-edged sword. In a way, in a way, I guess I would have to agree with you that in a way, I don't want to see it fail. But, yeah, I could totally dig it if it was one of these things where it's so far ahead of its time that it's kind of unappreciated in its time. I think that'd be cool if they could what? they could duplicate that. One thing I don't want to see: bullet time. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't care. Well, you know, there is elements of that though, because in that original trailer, that part where uh, the light cycle crashes and the body You're goes right. spinning through the air is sort of bullet timey, but not not in that. Let's freeze the action and do a full 360 so you can see how clever we are that yeah, shit yeah it's more of that I 300 slow that. everything down yeah yeah oh my god i'm tired of that shit yeah but yeah the other thing i've come to accept just as the way movies are made today cuz every freaking movie does that now you know does that slow down and 
Yeah, that does drive me a little crazy. Yeah. But I think they're just done that way today. So it's become the visual language of movies. Yeah, I don't like to see my favorite movies work in that visual language because then it dates them. Yeah. And then 30 years down the line, they'll look at this one and go, oh my God, how turn of the century. I don't know that this Early one will 21st be century. 30 years ahead, but where I think this one is going to be ahead of its time, or at least trend setting, that's the big thing. I'd like to see this one start a whole new thing, you know, be be the big, the, you know, the, where you could, you know, like you can look back at Tron and go, this is where this started, you know, like computer graphics, for example, you're really using computer graphics in a movie to, you know, so that all of your vehicles and all of your ships and, you know, all of your action sets and everything are done on a computer. Tron is where that started. And I would like to see that duplicated with the sequel in Tron. And, and I think that they have the potential of that with the, uh, I don't even know what it's called, but the fact that they're able to digitally recreate young Jeff Bridges as a character. That, I think, is way ahead of its time, and that looks cool. I think that it could be one of those things where they look back and they're, they're, they're able to say, okay, that's where that started. That's where it started where you could take, you know, I don't know, John Wayne or something and make a new John Wayne movie. Because I think that's coming. I, I got to be honest with you. I think that's coming somewhere in the future. We're going to see some somebody's rela- relatives license them out. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like I guarantee it. Fred coming. Astaire do it. Or was it Gene Kelly doing the, the vacuum cleaner commercial? Yeah. But I mean, not where, you know, I think with that, wasn't that they just took old footage and dubbed yeah. it? Yeah. But what I'm talking is, I'm No, somebody about, brings the actor back and has exactly, him in a movie. It's only yeah. a matter of time, yeah. It's a matter of time. And I, I guarantee it's going to be somebody huge. It's going to be a John Wayne or a Humphrey Bogart or the Marx Brothers or, you know, there's a, a laundry list of people that it could be. But it's going to be somebody freaking huge and the heirs are going to approve it and they're going to put it out there and there's going to be a new movie with a classic dead star done with computers because it's gonna be so creepy it would be creepy but if they could do it how do you capture the like how do you capture the marks the i mean grouch they were geniuses of, of well maybe that's a poor example because that you would actually have to have you, you couldn't just have their likeness or or their their mannerisms down you'd actually have to put words in their mouths yeah. whereas like with noah this is not a in any way meant to be offensive to John Wayne, but John Wayne, you could make a new John Wayne movie where he didn't say a whole hell of a lot, you know? And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, John Wayne was not, what am I trying to say? The Marx Brothers were, were improvisational is the big difference. Right. You know, a lot of their stuff, you, you got the feel, was like totally off the cuff and they were just running and having a lot of fun. Whereas John Wayne, I don't, I couldn't imagine he deviated too greatly from scripts you know, so he was pretty much just acting whatever the the hell the part was. So you write the new, you know, the shootest two or some fucking thing, and you just digitally recreate the look and mannerisms of the mm-hmm. Duke, and you figure out some way to digitally recreate his voice doing the lines, or you get an, you know, you get an impersonator. Oh, well, they already made Roger Ebert a, a voice box that talks in his 
cadence in his voice that they used old samples of his movie reviews to to make. I'm just and, telling you, dude. I, I'm oh yeah convinced that that's going to happen one day. That, that we are now living at the time where you can't trust anything you see in here. Right. Literally, if it's on video, you can't trust it. Go go onto YouTube and, and look at UFO videos and see all the really okay. beautiful UFOs that people can make on CGI now. Right. Well, look at, uh, now that I think of it, a really good example of that, too, was the, the sequence right towards the end of Terminator Salvation, where Christian Bale fought Arnold Schwarzenegger. That looked pretty freaking convincing to me. I mean, it looked yeah. pretty real that he was battling a... 1984-esque Arnold Schwarzenegger version of, of Terminator. I mean, the, I was I was buying it. It didn't look CGI-ish or wonky to me at all. And that was just a glimpse. It did a little to me, but it was still... Yeah. It worked. It, it worked as far as visually. I thought it, as far as a gimmick, it was kind of... Yeah. But, you know, imagine, but that's another story. Yeah. Imagine Tron Legacy being the... Jurassic Park of that technology because now you you, you go back yeah. to Jurassic Park and you look at it and I can kind You're of like, see eh. the wonky in Jurassic yeah. Park whereas now they can do it and it's seamless you know they, they can do like the boga that Obi-Wan rode in Revenge of the Sith was freaking amazing to me you know that thing looks real yeah. You know, like, where did they get this lizard chicken thing? It looks fucking real to me. Whereas, you know, you look back at Jurassic Park, and there's elements of that where you can look at it and go, that doesn't quite move right, or it doesn't seem like it has the yeah. right weight or mass or whatever. Yeah. And it took them a while to get it. You know, it's very impressive, but you can see that that was the roots. And I think that that's going to be, that could potentially be Tron Legacy's legacy is that this is where we could look back in 20, 30 years and go, you know what, that was the start of when they could bring back, you know, young John Wayne or whatever the hell. How about this? How about this? How about you'll see this first and you're going to see it in Tron Legacy? Our older actors playing roles as their younger selves. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that that's kind of what I was talking. I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at, too. They might not necessarily even have to be dead. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Dustin Hoffman could play a 30-year-old guy, you know? I love that because that owes into what we were talking about way, way, way back when we first started Two True Freaks about doing Star Wars sequels to the original trilogy with the original guys. Imagine a young Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher, all you'd need was their voices. I think we talked about that very thing. Yeah, or what we were, I think, yeah, we were saying, or doing it CGI like Clone Wars or something. Yeah, we were talking like CGI Clone Wars style. I mean, now we could actually talk CGI Tron Legacy style and make it look, I mean, you could do it. The world, the world it. of Star Wars is, yeah, they could do it. It would be expensive at this point, but in a few years it won't be. No. And, you know, creating the world of Star Wars digitally is actually the precedent's been set, but it's a lot more Hell complex yeah. than co- doing the world of Tron, which is already a computer graphics world. It is, but if you, you don't look- have to convince as much of the reality of it as to where if you had a, if you had a CGI Han Solo... I would say you'd almost want to just do like this his head. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
You could have. Here's here's what I'm thinking. Could you could just put a new head on Harrison Ford's body? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Is that here? Imagine this. Look at how much of you know, especially like say Revenge of the Sith. How very much of that movie was only the actors were real. Everything else was computer generated. So take it to the next step. You bring in as many of the classic guys that you can reassemble. You know, you get Harrison Ford, you get Carrie Fisher, you get Mark Hamill, you get whoever else you need for this project. Good luck with Harrison Ford. But and yeah. all you do is you put them in, what do they call those things? The, the, uh, the suits. The those motion. suits, yeah. Those dot suits, whatever the fuck they're called. I can't think of the name of them at the moment. You put them in that. And so you don't even have to film it. And my understanding with that is you don't even film, that it's all captured in the computer. So they go in, they act their scene or whatever, it's all captured in the computer, and then you go in and you create your your whole thing. I think the only expense, the only thing that would work out with that to be expensive would be the actors, because I'm thinking anyway, unless I'm completely wrong, I'm thinking it's cheaper to go in and do a digital movie that way than it is to go in with real live actors, film all that shit green screen, yeah. and then go in and have to add them into a digital background. Am, am I wrong in thinking that? Digital effects are very expensive. They're not cheap. They're not. They're. they're it's. It's. It's really uh, cutting edge to, as to whether they're cheaper than practical effects. You know, right. real physical things. I guess what I'm asking but is, is they say are... your Polar Express would it, would Polar Express be more expensive than if Polar Express everything had been digital but the actors in that movie had been real? Wh- which would be the more expensive project? It probably would have come out as a wash because I think in Polar Express a lot of the characters while not being real were still people moving <laughs> you know right, people yeah, putting on the suits yeah, and do it dancing the you know i'll bet i'll bet you tom hanks did some you know they wanted tom hanks to do the suit for his character right so that he could put his physical aspect of his a- acting into you're, the yeah, character too had, so you're still paying the actors for you're still doing that stuff it's you know i think lucas mostly did it to advance the technology and he wanted to you know he wanted to play with those new toys but it definitely wasn't a money saver for the Star Wars movies because they had to build and invent new cameras and all that stuff so as the years go by it's going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and computers get smaller and smaller and more powerful it'll get cheaper and cheaper to do digital effects as opposed to practical effects but still now it's a still a little sketchy although the digital effects you know depending on your point of view technically look technically better than a lot of practical effects you know you can have more when something blows up you can show pieces of it flying just like you want them and they can come right into the camera and right all that happy bullshit but at the same point <laughs> they still haven't you know only to a limited amount have they you know now in the star wars movies there's a lot of digital stuff that you don't even know is digital there's a lot of r2s and 3po's that you know are completely digital that you know are seamlessly no different than anthony daniels in a suit but by the same token there's a lot you know when i see digital effects in 
movies for the most part. If it's something, you know, like a flying dragon monster in, in Avatar, it's still, it still has, you can still tell the difference between a digital and a, and, and there's still, there's still something not perfected about it. There's still something not right. perfectly seamless about it. But at the same point, for the most part, what digital things are portraying are things that don't exist. Right. So they're always, so you're always going to be like, okay, that's obviously digital because they didn't build a puppet of that thing that has every little hair twitching and. But it's, it's getting it's, closer, man. It's. I I, mean, I think the the trick is that they have to be less detailed than they are. They have to get over the technology, and start taking the detail of them down a little bit to where it looks. Not less realistic, but a little less, you know, a little less. You don't have to see every, you know, you if if you crisp. see a real horse, you, you, you don't see crisp. It doesn't. If you don't, if you crisp, see a cowboy and yeah. in a cowboy movie riding a horse, you don't have to. You don't see every little detail of that horse. Right. You, right. you 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 know, parts of it are out of focus, and you know, you get the general gestalt of a horse. And that's what they've got to start working with more in CGI, I think. Making it more something that is more like the human eye. Something in the background can be less defined. Uh, and, right. you know, you don't need to be as detailed just because you can. You maybe make it detailed and then soften the focus so the hint of that detail comes through or something. But there, there has to be, there's some sort of expressionistic edge that they have to start using to make it become truly stuff like Gollum works because there's such a personality behind it that it takes on that personality and you stop thinking avatars like that you do stop thinking of the characters as CGI because they all take on personalities and the animals and stuff and it's a step in the right direction but it's still really no matter how much people trumpet it it's still just I mean not avatar in general but CGI in general it's just it's not there yet, but it will get there. It'll right. get there fast because yeah. that technology is exponential in its growth over time. So it won't take long for it to get better and better and better. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, I think, uh, I think it's time to take another break and then come in with the final part and our special we'll, guest. Uh, we'll drag guest up out of our special guest box here and... Uh, Nerd out on some more Tron. I knew I should have derezzed you when I had the chance. I promised you that if I ever got any information about your dad, I'd tell you first, right? I was paged last night. Came from your dad's office at the arcade. So? So? The number's been disconnected for 20 years. Two nights before he disappeared, he came to my house. He said he was about to change everything. Science, medicine, religion. He wouldn't have left that, Sam. He wouldn't have left you. Alan, you're acting like I'm gonna find him sitting there working. Just, hey kiddo, lost track of time. That be something.
We're back. It's Two True Freaks, and it's our huge Tron episode. And when I say we, I mean uh, my co-host, Scott Gardner. Hello. And uh, we have a very special guest. You might remember him from way back where we talked to him about Star Wars and God knows what else. Mr. George Kerstick. Greetings, programs. Award-winning <laughs> oh, writer. <perfect. laughs> and super nerd, obviously. Yes, or else you wouldn't be here in the first place. <laughs> And I, I'm just going to say, right off the bat, we don't know what kind of information George has trapped in his head here, so, you know, I cannot guarantee this show will be spoiler-free, so keep that in mind as you listen. You but, have been warned. Yeah, any second a spoiler could just come jumping out of the wall like a cat in a horror movie. Yeah, Luke and Leah, uh, brother and sister. Sorry, guys. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, you've, you've seen that movie yet, but... <laughs> They're Space totally going right? to have to rewrite that hammock scene now. <laughs> so we were just talking uh, just before we started recording here, and you were starting to say something about the the girl that's shown in the trailer, and I was asking you if she might possibly be Mercury, and it sounded like you, you actually have an answer to this question. I do, I do. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit about all the uh, ARG events, and, and I am a huge Tron fan, and uh, I have a couple pals who are even bigger Tron fans, so we all whip ourselves into a frenzy. But we went to the, the screening that they had in L.A., that secret screening, uh, where they ended up showing the trailer. And uh, what was great is that both of the directors came out, uh, uh, Steve Lisberger and uh, Joe, who is the, the director of the new one, 
And that was one of the questions. Uh, someone asked, you know, uh, is Tron 2.0 canon? And does it lead into the film? And the answer was no, uh, it is not canon. So that girl is not Mercury. Ah, uh, um, okay. Apparently she is a program that Flynn wrote uh, when he went back into the world of Tron as his, like, kind of confidant. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's what I would do. That's my to- confidant <laughs> right there, yeah. <laughs> okay, Gothic, let me write that program. Done. Yep. No, I like so. I, I like that name, confidant. I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's my confidant. Don't that was no lady. That was my confidant. <laughs> well, see, I've been, I've been mentally preparing myself for that ever since I saw the very first trailer for this and what what little info there has been and, and like I was telling you off the air I've, I've mostly been trying to avoid spoilers and stay away from things but as the movie creeps closer I know that I'm just not going to be able to, to hold back from from learning things about it and all that but uh, are, are you gonna break so, down and download the script that's floating around no, out there no I'm not gonna no I don't want to do that because that That'll ruin it because I have it, but I haven't read it, and I'm probably I just don't think I can do it. Yeah. Keep some of the wonder there. Yeah, you that, know yeah. that's that's the thing is I don't because I don't want to know parallels for me personally with with you know I don't I really seriously don't think I've been this excited for any movie. No, since you haven't. The Empire Strikes Back. I wow. can attest to that. You I you know you've been pretty cynical of. Every, I mean, even this, you know, you know, even upcoming Star Wars movies. When it right, was yeah. at that, you know, at that point, you know, you wouldn't get as psyched as you are for this. And I don't blame you. And actually, I wasn't as psyched as you until I saw that second trailer. And I watched it like fifty times the, <laughs> as soon as it came out, and just sort of absorbing every detail. I love, it's trite, but I love the stories. That started out, you know, where you're opening a door, literally opening a door that probably hasn't been opened in 20 years, you know, and you see yeah. the arcade covered with the dust and a hand wiping off a dusty screen. That I love that stuff. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and uh, actually, I'm going to WonderCon. The only reason I'm going is for the uh, the Encom press conference. So uh, I don't know if you guys saw the the video. I think it was posted yesterday of Bruce Boxleitner in character as Alan like answering questions about Encom. So there's um, oh. there's a rumor that he's going to be holding a pre- an Encom press conference at WonderCom. So well, I, I hope he's more personable in person as Alan. Scott uh, had a bad experience with Bruce Boxleitner. It was one of those uh, meeting your one of your childhood hero things and having them not be. He may have been having cool a really bad day. Or yeah, something, I think I know. think that really was what it was. I think I just totally caught him at a bad moment because everybody else I know that has ever met him says that, you know, he's totally not like that. So well, I think the, him at a, at the a thing point. was, is you just sort of, it was, you know, you were pretty non-offensive compared to what usually is annoying to people who get accosted at, you know, I think you said something about, you know, how much your, your, your cousin was in love with him from Scarecrow and Mr. King, Mrs. Yeah. King or whatever. Mrs. King, yeah. Mrs. King. And he was, that that he just sort of was like, well, uh, yeah, he did, yeah, didn't like right. that for some reason, but <laughs> who it's knows soft. why? <laughs> oh man, maybe no, he has uh, history with your cousin. Oh god, she would just she you know, yeah she would wouldn't have all... kept that under her hat the, all yeah. these years. I'm sure. <laughs> I heard about that? She wrote a tell-all book or something. <laughs> 
Now, did you go to the... Um, God, I don't know what event it was. Maybe it was Comic-Con where they actually had like Flynn's Arcade and all that. Did you, did, were you I able did, to attend that? I actually missed that. And that's kind of why I'm, I'm going to WonderCon because they're promising something big is going to happen there. And <laughs> there's there's some rumors that it may be a Daft Punk concert or, you know, this this NCOM press conference. So I'll let you guys know once it happens. Well, hey, being Disney, you never know who might show up too because uh, Disney had that, Oh God! What is the name of that thing they just did? The D twenty three. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, where like Johnny Depp showed up, uh, totally out of the blue, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, you never know who might pop in for this thing. So yeah, maybe it'll be Jeff Bridges in the original Tron outfit. That yeah, be- you got to report back. <laughs> that on would that. be pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty funny. I'm trying to remember whose outfit it was that I actually saw. I, I think it was Boxleitner's outfit. They had, I don't know if they still have it, but they had it at the... Um, Smithsonian or something no, like that? No, what's that Schwarzenegger restaurant thing? Planet Hollywood? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, okay. Planet Hollywood at Downtown Disney at the mm-hmm. at Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. We ate there one time, and uh, and they had his original outfit. And while it was incredibly awesome to be, you know an inch away from it separated only by glass it was also really bizarre because you know you see that movie and i've seen that movie hundreds and hundreds of times and it looks so awesome and it's all glowy and cool and everything but if you were to ever see it in real life it's probably the most boring outfit because it's honestly just stark black and stark white and that's it because you know everything colored the rest of it yeah it was all hand colored in so i mean it looks nothing like what you would actually imagine it really looks like you know i have a weird feel i don't like planet hollywoods i i ate in the planet hollywood san francisco once and it was really just a strange and i didn't like the feeling of eating my chicken fingers and like Two inches away from my head was the original scrawled on a piece of paper lyrics to I Am the Walrus. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and here I am eating like cheap food with a bored waiter. Yeah, it, it, it just, it was awesome to see that, but it was so surreal. And something was not right about it that that's <laughs> probably not the place where that piece of paper should be. And yeah. Like re- a reverential kind of uh, display, huh? Like a museum or something. Yeah, or something. Or it's just it was just weird, you know. I mean, okay, maybe that is kind of rock and roll, but I don't know how John Lennon would feel about it. <laughs> WWJLD. Now yeah. I want to hear uh, I want to hear your Tron origin story, uh, George. How did how did you become a Tron fan? How did you discover the movie? Oh, that's a really good question. Then I want to hear yours as well, both of you guys. Um, I'm going to have to admit that. I didn't see it in the theater. I actually saw it on uh, like daytime TV with commercials and stuff cut out of it. But even even with that, it was it kind of blew me away. And you know, something I'll, I'll get rid of, you know, get out in the open right right away. I think that the original Tron is a terrible movie in that the story is really simplistic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's slow moving and it's not a well written story. And in fact, if you look at it, the entire third act is just a chase scene. Yeah. Um, but what they did was groundbreaking. And, you know, I'm going to use yes. an analogy that may not really work right now, but it may be applicable to generations who haven't seen Tron. It's kind of like the Avatar thing where 
it was it was as they like as the pundits like to say it was a game changer when you saw tron you saw the future and yes. you also saw the stuff that was in our heads up until that point you know like when you'd be playing you know tank battle or you know right Astros. of course the graphics were terrible but you were kind of kind of you know filling project- in the rest exactly exactly you're projecting and filling in the rest and when you saw tron you're like dude movies are going to be so awesome but uh, it took a little longer than we expected so that that was the excitement of tron for me like the kind of like the future you know when you saw blade runner you're like dude movies are going to be just like this all the time and yeah oh it didn't quite happen <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I think Tron is actually a better movie now than it was when it came out because of that, or it can be appreciated for more now than when it came out because just the sort of language it spoke of the computer world yes. was yes. Uh, seemed to be, you know, people probably just took it as made up, you know, Hollywood language to just sound like computer. But there's one point, you know, where... where Flynn says something about he's cursing the scuzzy data, you know? Yeah. And, right. and so there were, you know, the references are all, you know, I mean, obviously what Lisberger really knew is computer nerd stuff. And, you know, aside from the whole digitizing people and digitizing oranges thing, a lot of it was fairly accurate and way ahead of its time for virtual reality and yes you know way ahead of the matrix and even ahead of uh what's his name like jg ballard by a few years you know and i think that was part of its problem it was it was too far ahead of the curve and this happens to a lot of the stuff that we love you know they do something and it's amazing but it's it's like 10 years too soon and then you know the the masses kind of piss on it and and move on but then you're like no no that was a that was a high watermark yeah yeah, you I have to wait it, 10 or 20 I, I years. I actually like that this film wasn't a commercial success or even a critical success. I actually like that a lot. I think it owes into it because when someone in, you know proclaims themselves a Tron fan, it hits me a lot weightier than someone being like a Star Wars fan because everybody loves Star Wars for the most part. Sure. Or even Star Trek. For the most part, most geek-inclined people love Star Trek. But Tron, you got to be kind of hardcore geek <laughs> to like Tron. And I like that. I, that's, you know, it, it, I feel like we're... the week from the tap, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're part of an exclusive club because... Ah, nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But, uh... Tron origin stories. Chris, do we want to do we want to do that in this? Uh... Yeah, you should do yours first because mine pretty much comes out of yours. So. Oh, okay. Well, um, <clears throat> for me, it's kind of strange. It's it's kind of a convoluted story, but I'll try to unconvolute it as much as possible. Um, <laughs> I totally owe getting into Tron to my cousin Michelle. We we were really close growing up and all. And she would come up and visit the families during the summers because her folks were separ- or were divorced. And I remember her telling me about this cool new movie. I had to see it. It was totally awesome. It was called Tron. And she starts telling me all about it. And you got to remember the time frame that this was 82. Yeah, 82. And there had been a glut of all these really shitty Star Wars knockoff movies, right? I mean, some of them were just absolutely abysmal. And they were all like drive-in movies and stuff. And as she's describing the plot of these, you know, young people who are in this battle against this, 
you know, monolithic, you know, Master oppressive program. Yeah, it's really started to sound like another, you know, rebels against the empire kind of thing to me. And I just totally didn't have any inch. I was like, God, it just sounds like Star Wars all over again. So I totally dismissed it out of hand, had no interest in it whatsoever. And then somewhere along the line, I have no idea today who got it for me, but somebody bought me the Story of Tron album. And this was back in the day when you would get those albums. They had them for like Star Wars and Empire and Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff. Yeah, and it was... And Tron, yeah. yeah, do you, you know the ones I'm talking about? Exactly, and Disney was really up on that. So yeah, all the, yeah. All the stuff. I, I, I had the Black Hole one and the Tron one, yeah. Yeah, the Tron one was fantastic because... The sound is one of the great things about Tron. I think it won an Oscar for sound design, actually. The sound is just, you know, so original and so different from other movies. You know, when people walk, it was that that weird clanky metallic sound and stuff, stuff like that. And so I'm I'm listening to this album and all I've got for visuals is the few pictures that were on the actual album cover and on the back cover. And so it created this world in my mind and strangely enough just based i guess on the album everything was very dark and every because i was pulling it out of my imagination trying to visualize what this stuff would look like so the very next summer um the black river drive-in had a double bill and in great big huge letters in the paper in the in the movie section was Tron coming to the Black River Drive-In for a special, you know, replaying or whatever. And, you know, double bill, tiny, tiny microscopic print. Oh, by the way, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I'm freaking out and I'm begging my parents, please, you got to take me. I want to see this movie so bad. I missed it last time. I was like, you got to take me. So they really had no interest, but they took me to see it because I wouldn't shut up about it. And we go to see it. And the, the, it finally gets dusk, and they, they start the previews and all that sort of thing. The movie comes on. I'm freaking out. I'm shaking. I'm so excited to see this movie. And it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I'm like, God damn it. So then, you know, this was, you got to remember, I was probably, what, 14, 15 years old. Had no appreciation whatsoever for what an absolute masterpiece movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is. All I know is I got to wait 90 minutes more. <laughs> To see this movie, I've already waited a year to see, right? But anyway, long story short, you know, after Snow White was over, uh, Tron came on and blew me away. It just, some I don't know what it was, just something in that movie speaks to me. You're, you're right, you know, I, I can divorce myself enough from my geekdom to, to admit it's not that awesome a story. I think it's more the concept of actually going into this inner space world where everything is angular and everything is some sort of analog to computer terminology. And and especially at that time when computers were still a new and scary and kind of nebulous thing to a lot of people. They were two things. They were video games and they were like things that big corporations had that they could talk, talk to and stuff. Yeah. And I loved it. And uh, I totally blame Tron for getting me interested in computers. I mean, it was the first time I heard terms like ROM and RAM and Clue and, uh, you know, a lot of the terminology that's become commonplace in the world of computing came out of that movie. It wasn't just all made up, you know? No, it, it gave you the basic of binary language. Yeah. 
and I, I find that fascinating and I can totally understand how you know these guys at Pixar look back at this movie and go that was it that's what hooked me you know that's what got me into wanting to do movies like Toy Story and uh, you know all the awesome movies that they're putting out looking back at Tron so yeah I totally agree with it game changer man big time yeah because as, as you know you guys pointed out that without Tron you couldn't have done The Matrix right. you couldn't have done all these other films not, not just technology wise but kind of subject matter wise Tron could prepared the audience as you were saying to kind of think in these terms mm -hmm. and, um, and again I think that's why it still resonates that's why there's such a huge reaction to you know Tron coming back now it's fine yeah. we finally caught up to Tron to where we can where the you know the the idea of Tron is something that people are all into now as the Matrix points out see I don't think I, I, I never saw this on the big screen either I I remember listening to the record over at Scott's and then I remember him going to see it and freaking out <laughs> and finally getting you know I finally got to see it on HBO and uh, it was really funny because after li listening to the record all the time when I finally saw it it actually matched up to what I had sort of pictured in my head which, right. Stuff like that usually never matches up. It right. never It never lives up to it, but it sort of matched perfectly, which is te testament to the sound design for sure. It definitely deserved to win an Oscar. And as I watched it last night, ah, I just love it. All the deep rumbling noises, but everything sort of dampened. You know, there's every once in a while yeah. there'll be an echo, but it's a weird clipped echo, and everything sounds like it's sort of been recorded in a small closet you know it was it it really gets you into that world and and it's dark it was a perfect movie for a drive-in because it's I've, it's dark and it's simple yeah. glowing colors and shapes it must have looked beautiful up on a drive-in screen that's why to this day i've never watched this movie when it was daytime outside because there's something about it that just i have to watch this movie at night and I find that preferably this is the at like three movie. in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With like, you know, you're so bleary eyed, sleepy that if you fall asleep watching it, it actually plays right into it because it has that that incredible, surreal, dreamlike my, quality. My to movie, it. I have a movie like that. It's THX 1138. Yeah, That's that movie yeah. for me. Yeah. The Absolutely. first time I watched it, it started at 4 a.m. and I forced myself to stay up to watch it and had to and you know it's not the fastest moving movie in the in the world and it's very quiet and you know it was creeping towards 4:35 in the morning and i'm trying to stay awake and i'm still like into the movie and, uh yeah so absolutely very cool i i have such sentimental memories for this movie because you know, Michelle was the one that got me into it. So then when I would go and visit her in summers, you know, and, and spend a, a weekend. And it was probably Boxlight that got her in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. She always had the hots for, which I think she still does. <laughs> but I can remember every single time that I would go and, and visit my aunt and, and my cousin, my aunt would take us to the video store and we'd rent the same three movies every single visit. And it was the empire strikes back, the Terminator nice. and Tron every single time. Because Can't we go wrong. Those. Yeah. That's like a trifecta. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be 
one of my probably top three most rewatched movies in my collection. I've just seen it that many times. I just never get tired of it. Well, what I like about it is the writer and the director are the same person. I don't think he's really done that much post-Tron or before Tron. You no. know, and yeah, was... from what yeah, from what I know, he was like uh, an animator. He was in in animation before Tron, and then afterwards, I think he did a, a few live action features, um, but but nothing you know with the impact of Tron, obviously. And wasn't and that... he? He was like one of the pioneers of like uh, early like short animation things like uh, like for like nightly news and and things yeah. like that right that's right he did some titles i think and he did he did what did he do he did something i think it was like animal olympics or something like that that's what yeah. kind of put the map <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you know no one remembers what that is but you can look it up but uh, yeah, i remember uh, there's a short feature oh, I remember that somewhere on the 20th anniversary the the two disc dvd that's the one that i've got that's all about him and it's showing you know some of his early stuff and it would be like you know when they do those short little like 10 second advertisements for like a a radio station or something on television and they'd have that really cool like chromatic looking computer generated stuff and he did a lot of that sort of thing in preparation for Tron but well remember the huge hype there was up to this movie you know Disney's putting all this money into a movie and they're almost completely doing it with computers animating stuff and and you know there it was it was all this big deal and then it came out and the critics pretty much panned it and it's and I don't know I don't know if I would you know upon seeing it you know, 20 years later, I remember thinking, this is a really, I, I really liked it. I, it wasn't deep in so no. much as a story or anything, but it was, um, well, everything was self-contained perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole, the, the, it had its whole, it created its universe perfectly and kept everything consistent in it. And, uh, and had some really funny things that weren't funny the first time around, but now that, you know, computers and the internet and everything made a lot more sense and were actually more amusing. And I had forgotten how the tone of it was very light, you know. I mean... Oh, yeah. The, you know, the Master Control program and um, was, you know, had a pretty dark sense of humor, but, it, you know, there, there was... All the dialogue was pretty snappy, especially between all the bad guys. All the bad guys had great, and of course Jeff Bridges. That's a thing about Disney movies is they know how to get a combination of good actors and good character actors into these things to to play the parts. And you know everybody sold their part. Yeah, I just I, loved, I loved his portrayal in this because it reminded me in a lot of ways. It was almost in a funny kind of way. It was almost a continuation of the character that he was playing in the 76 King Kong movie, because I always liked that character a lot too. <laughs> well, that was a Jeff, right. yeah. that was yeah. a Jeff Bridges persona sort of is, yeah. he was sort of the post hippie, you yeah. know, g- good natured, cool, you know, down to earth guy still had kind of shaggy hair, you know, and in his younger days, I was sort of the role he perfected, you know, the, the man, man child, yeah, and just exactly. just just always a you know just he he couldn't re- I don't think he could play it like 
dislikable character early on in his career. Now he could, now that he's got some some gristle on him. But, you know, back back in those days, he, he just always got the sort of, it was it was like Harrison Ford, you know? They both got those sort of just likable guy roles. And uh, I hope that they're able to, to recapture a little bit of that with um, with this sequel. I, I hope that he's not... Because it, it almost gives the impression... completely dark and brooding character. Yeah, yeah, it almost looks like he's going to be that way in this new one. You never know with trailers, though, you know? The, yeah, the, the, the way trailers are made... That you know, you never know how much input there was into the whole tone of it. It's like it's like episode one. The trailers of episode one made it look like this very serious, epic science fiction story. Right. It, it looked like it might be pretty dark and 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 violent. But and then there's there you go. Yeah. You said it first. Yeah. Huh, funny how he wasn't in the. In any of those trailers, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, so who knows? Who knows? It looks to me from the trailer that they did definitely. I think the thing, good thing about movie sequels like from movies like Tron is, is that it wasn't such a mass appeal. It was a fan based right thing that that built on a grassroots basis to the point of where they could say. Hey, you know, really, it makes sense to make a Tron sequel right now. You know, we think enough people, but the people who are going to go to see it are people who know what's going on. So it's going to have to make them happy. And it looks like it does. It looks like it has some, you know, when you pull up to Flynn's place, you know, you've got the space paranoids. Yeah, they're definitely going to make us happy and they're widening (laughs) the, the demographic, you know. And the yeah. fact that it's not a reboot, that it's an actual sequel, is I like I like that idea yeah, too. I, I think that. I think yeah. that makes it. Smart. I'm I think, thrilled that they've got both Box Lightner and Jeff Bridges. Because when I saw Jeff Bridges in the, because I watched the the uh, smuggled out footage from Comic Con. Oh yeah. And when I saw Jeff Bridges. I was cheering right along with the people in the recording that were cheering because <laughs> I ne- I didn't really expect that they would get him. I I, I honestly didn't because I remember reading or hearing something years ago when the rumors first started to circulate that they were thinking about making a, a sequel to Tron, and I got really excited. But I was thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll be able to get any of those guys back because even at that time, Jeff Bridges had some serious years on him. Sure and. Uh, and I remember, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was something I read where he basically said, no, nah, I don't think so. You know, I, I, it's been 20, at that time, it was at least 20 years had gone by. And he was like, you know, it was a fun movie. I enjoyed the hell out of it, but I don't think I can go home again. So I really had put the idea out of my mind that if they ever actually did it, that he would not be in, uh, attached. And of course, when they did Tron 2.0, the video game, which I, I don't know if you ever played that, but it's excellent. You know? I did, I did, yeah. yeah. It was fun. He's mentioned quite prominently in that game in, in different secret little things like the emails you can download and stuff, but he's right. not in it. Yeah. So, you know, that had kind of buffered me that if he wasn't in this movie, I was actually kind of prepared for that. But then when I saw him there in the trailer, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, so, and he doesn't yeah. seem like an actor who just 
sort of Gene Hackman like will take any role that they toss at him you know he, no. he, you, you generally see him in pretty solid movies or movies that are at least attempting to be really yeah, good no, he, he's in a position where he can pick and choose he so did yeah he's he doing real good right now yeah. yeah yeah he's he's Whereas got some box lightner I think is at the other end of the spectrum oh, where... oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that you know, wasn't really intended as a dig. I know, no, I but he's more in the you know he's more in the Gil Gerard area section of the. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and the, the I like the, Gil the, Gerard. The, no, I <laughs> yeah, I heard that you you were talking to him recently. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was his wife. Um, his uh, his wife. She was at a, a local. Call it a yard sale. I think that's what they called it. Was a yard sale, but it was this like benefit for I think it was breast cancer or something yeah. that the local one of the local rest um, uh, supermarket chains here is Kroger. Oh yeah. And of course, so yeah. often they have these these big yard sale events where the the proceeds benefit different things. And I think this one was for breast cancer, and she was there just selling a large collection of like books and odds and ends and stuff, and she had what all this Star Trek stuff. I'm sorry. Did she have Buck Rogers like props? <laughs> no, have- no, I was actually surprised that she didn't have anything like that. But, you know, she saw me digging through the Star Trek stuff and we struck up a conversation. And through the course of the conversation, we came to realize that we'd actually met each other before at Dragon Con. And she tipped me off to who she actually was because I, I honestly didn't remember her. And I felt really bad because I think maybe she remembered me. I think that might have been why she came up and started talking to me. Uh, I just I didn't remember her because we'd met so many people at that thing. Sure. And uh, and she turned out to be Gil Gerard's wife. And we've just kind of stayed in contact. And uh, she contacted me out of the blue about a week or so ago saying, you know, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods. And I've been carrying around all this Star Trek junk in the back of my car for months. (laughs) <laughs> meaning to you know, meaning to call you up and ask you if you still want all this stuff, and you I was lucky, like, "Hell lucky yeah, bastard!" So That's yeah, awesome. so you got, got Buck Rogers' wife bringing you Star Trek toys. That's free, free Star Trek comics and books yeah. and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. awesome! Over a hundred books she dumped on me. Just like here, take them, get them the hell out of my house. It was like, wow, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> it was great. So, yeah. But what, what's funny is uh, we actually did end up talking a little bit about Buck Rogers because I was trying to um, sway her on the uh, the new Dynamite series. Uh, Dynamite oh, yeah. is, is putting out a Buck Rogers series, which sadly I was just looking at the solicits for the latest issue and it says it's going to be the last issue already. And I was like, damn, I thought this was a great book. So it's I don't know if they're... Yeah, it got yeah. canceled. Yeah, it wasn't selling well, unfortunately. That sucks because it's... Uh, did you read it? No, but the covers really turned me off because they looked like Tron, you know, but in a bad way. They looked like they bit uh, Tron. Uh, no, believe me, dude. I, I, now, I can't speak beyond issue seven because that's as many as I've got. I've got zero through seven. But yeah. the first arc in one through six, I thought was fantastic. I thought it was solid stuff, and I highly recommend it to, to anybody remotely interested in, like, cl- classic style science fiction. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. Have you guys heard that they just greenlit the Buck Rogers 3D movie? Oh, no. Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson is going to write and direct, which makes me a little nervous, but... Well, Buck you know... Just, oh, you I don't know, recognize well, that name. Well, um, uh, what was it? Resident Evil and... Uh, I liked Resident Evil. 
Yeah, the first one was okay, but then it started getting kind of wonky. Yeah. But he's 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 hacked out a few pretty bad films. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That it's yeah that's definitely I don't think a good sign. Well, the th- the thing about Buck Rogers is the guy who's been doing Star Trek Phase Two, James Colley, bought the bought the rights to Buck Rogers to do his uh he's been making a TV show. I think it's going to be a web series. Is it going to be a web series? I think it's going to be webisodes. I could be wrong about that, but I think they're going to be webisodes. Yeah, in wow. which uh, Gil Gerard's actually in it, playing Buck Rogers' father. He and, and Aaron Gray. And Aaron Gray is Gray. playing Buck's mother, and and uh, Gil is playing Buck's father. And there's a, a really nice preview clip that you can see. I, I wish I could give you the exact address, but what's funny, Chris, is uh, I was talking to uh, Gil's wife about this, and uh, and I said, you know, as we were parting, she said something about Gil, and he hadn't come up in the conversation. And I wasn't going to bring it up because I always feel weird about that. Like, yeah. I don't want her to think that, you know, she plays second fiddle to me, you know. Because that, she's Gil Gerard's wife. Because she's Gil yeah. Gerard's wife. Exactly. You know, I, I think she's just a very nice lady and I enjoy talking to her about, you know, all this geeky stuff that we share in common. But anyway, she, she brought him up. And since she brought him up first, I, I felt then, you know, comfortable saying <laughs> right. something. And I said, oh, by the way, I said, tell Gil that uh, I saw that clip of him in the new Buck Rogers, and I thought it was excellent. She gave me this funny look, and I was like, uh-oh, what? Like, I, I felt like I'd said something wrong. She goes, he hates that clip. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no way. I was like, I thought it was really great. And, and then I talked about the, the sepia, and it's funny because that's what you told me that you thought didn't I work. Didn't like Apparently, this. that's what Gil, that's what his problem is. He it's, doesn't like that sepia it's look. It's a little either. too much, yeah. Yeah, that's Maybe funny. just a tinge of it would have been... But, you know, it, it really struck me as sort of just like raw footage that he might have just thrown the sepia on. And, you know, because it's just very raw. There's no music, really. There's, right. you know, it's it's just sort of something like, here, here's what we're doing right now. Here's some, you know. So that scene, literally half the dialogue could end up chopped out of that, you know, by the time yeah, right. it ends up on the screen. and And the sepia could be just until they do the actual you know rendering and treatment of it and and you know so i don't know if that's what the final product but if it was like that pure that pure sepia it just it, it's it still looks like sepia on high definition video you know rather yeah. than mm-hmm. like a faded film or something like that so right um but you can see he's definitely going for that retro Retro feel it's taken place in that in that time period. So right. I don't know. I'm 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 very curious. I'm more curious to see what he's gonna do because you know, from from the Star Trek phase two I can tell I know Kali's gonna be interested in like expressing the essence of Buck Rogers rather than being like, ah, oh, let's see. Right. What can we what can what movie can we make that'll make a lot of money that we can call Buck Rogers? Cause, Cause, I'll bet you with this remake that one of the things that gets more focused on is stupid Twiggy or something like that. <laughs> oh, you know, it's gonna not, be like yeah. the it's gonna uh, be I'm like the back. yeah, it's gonna be like the voice of Robin Williams or something. You oh, know? No. Oh no, God, I hope not. <laughs> or James Carey or something like that. You know? I could totally yeah. see it. You know? Uh, yeah, I could totally. 
Yeah, I could totally see it too. And, and then Robin Williams will do a few Warner Brother characters and stuff, you know, as a tribute to Mel Blanc and uh, whatever. <laughs> oh my I'm God. a cynic. I hate them all. Getting back to uh, to Tron now, I keep hearing rumors that as well as this sequel, that this they're hoping this might be the beginning of like a new. You know, like kind of like paralleling the the Pirates of the Caribbean. Maybe this will be a whole new film franchise, and there may even be a television series. Did would, you hear anything about this? It would this? be a good TV show. Yeah, they they are actually uh, in early pre production on an animated series at Disney. Oh, okay, <sighs> that would be cool. And I think I'm not quite sure, but I think it's CG. Um, that would be. I was just going to say, I hope it's CG. Perfect. That would be perfect because the angularism is that even a word? The angular style of CG would be perfect yeah. for uh, for Tron, you know, because everything is all angular anyway, all straight lines. That would be, oh, I, I would love that. I would. So well, love it was that. like when they did Starship Troopers as a TV series. It was all it was CG. Oh, I don't remember. And that, that was quite. It was what was it called? Roughneck Starship Troopers Chronicles or something. It was yeah. a Saturday morning kitty show. It was all basically. It was like it was very much a forerunner of the Clone Wars sort of in style. It was, huh. it was a lot of a lot of action and battle, with you know the troopers versus bugs in different planets and. Wow, that totally flew under my ray radar. I never heard of that. I I had to get up. I I remember I had a job that I had to get up really early, and it was literally on at six thirty in the morning. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a syndicated thing. And I later, you know, downloaded a bunch of episodes of it. It's one of those ones where every episode's pretty much the same. Yeah. Except with a different kind of bug or something. Exactly. And, and uh, uh, yeah. Now George, do you remember Auto Man? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the reason I watched it is because I'm like, hey, that's kind of like Tron. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was Tron in reverse, basically. It was instead of, like like Flynn going into the computer world this this Tron like character had come out into the real world and but could do all his Tron shtick yeah, in, that's in right. the real world like a, you know he had like the Tron looking car and he had what the hell was that thing he had with him it, it was basically bit but they called it something else. cursor I think yeah cursor that's right cursor. <laughs> yeah now that you're now yeah. that you're verbalizing that was totally a Tron ripoff I'm yeah. Sure oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Let's give him a car and, and let's get that little thing that flies around with him. And he's a he's a detective. All right. Go make that. Well, th- this was another instance of of Scott tracking down one of his childhood loves and real realizing that I must have been <laughs> damaged as a kid or something because I I downloaded the entire series. About yeah. a year ago, sat down was, rubbing like, your hands together. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, yes, exactly. this is gonna be Mad great. Scientist style, like about to destroy the world, going. <laughs> and I sat down, I pushed play, and about twenty minutes later, I am absolutely fucking mortified. That <laughs> sucks ass. But the one redeeming quality was the the Auto Man character and that car are still cool as hell, man. But the rest of that show, absolutely insipid, man. It, so- it, I have to to ask you guys, you know, because I've had this this kind of conversation in my mind with myself. It's like, I wonder what the adults around us thought about our tastes, because like, you know, our parents or, you know, whatever, cousins, etc. would sit around and and take us to these movies and sit with us, you know, watching these TV shows. And they never said anything. They're like, you know, supportive. 
But I'm wondering, like, did they think, like you said, were we all like, you know, insane? Because we loved this stuff that obviously looked so terrible. And the stories <laughs> were, like you say, so insipid. You know, were they just really supportive of any sort of, you know, kind of interest we had? Or were they just like, ah, it's, it's the kids. They love these space shows and whatnot. Well, I could always tell which ones were better because those were the ones, like, my parents were always supportive of, you know, you know, letting me watch most stuff like that. But, you know, when we'd go see a new Star Wars, when we saw Empire Strikes Back, my mom was talking about Yoda for months, you know. <laughs> Literally, she recently just had a cat that named Yoda. And, you know, and, and you know, she, she watched every other, you know, even... When the new trilogy came out, you know, without me around at all, she went to see all three movies because she wanted to see what Yoda was up to. Uh, and right. uh, so, you know, I could tell the ones that the, the stuff that they would get more, you know, my father would sit down and watch Star Trek and he would yeah. sit down and watch an episode of Star Trek and he would laugh at the funny parts and, you know, be paying attention to it. But Batman, when Batman was on, you know, he would just sort of like, oh, OK, <laughs> leave the room. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. That, that was a lot like me, too. I mean, really, for for my, you know, it was really just my parents, you know, my, my mom and dad, because my, my sister's a lot younger than I am. So my dad, you know, he was really cool because he would take us to most of this stuff. You know, yeah. I can remember most of my memories for geek movies, you know, especially like Star Wars, the Star Trek films. Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica. Because a lot um, of them, I think, had the equivalent of fast cars. Yeah, yeah, they, they had an element that would appeal to his sensibilities yeah. because he, he was big on, you know, he grew up during the, the era of, like, Roy Rogers, Westerns, and uh, uh, Davy Crockett on TV, stuff like that. But he, all, you know, so he could appreciate the bad guy, you know, the, the black hats versus the white hats sure. mentality of a lot of these movies. But also... You know, a lot of them would have, you know, like Chris said, speeding vehicles and stuff like that. So he could appreciate the speed aspect and the machinery aspect. But my dad, the awesome thing about my dad is my dad is a completely straight shooter. That's what I love about him is that he's not afraid to call a spade a spade. So if we're watching something and he had an opinion, he'd give it to you. You know, so if it was shit, it was shit. And he'd tell you it was shit, you know. And if you, you were watching like the the cage episode of star trek he'd tell you that those guys look like they have asses for heads you know stuff like that and it was great that's what i love about my dad but he Such really candor. did like that yeah yeah complete candor <laughs> my mother on the other hand i think as i got older and i got into more and more things like star wars and star trek and tron and road warrior and indiana jones and all that i think she became more and more convinced that i was possessed by demons so right you know, worried your, for my your, soul your basically. mom was the church lady from saturday night live very much, much so yeah very much so yeah stern so, you, you had to sort of so catch her but no. oh no oh hell no 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 no, no see no. i lost i i started out playing D when it first came out but i i just i could never take i could never take that leap of I could just never take it seriously, you know, in the gameplay, and and it was I would get more like Scott and I try attempted to set up a game where we would play the Indiana Jones game, mm-hmm. but his uncle Randy 
was like Ruined he could yeah he couldn't take it seriously so he could play <laughs> we'd be trying to play a serious game and randy'd be like okay i'm jumping out of the plane now well you can't just say oh i've jumped out of the plane i'm rolling the dice to see if i live hey i lived you know and, yeah he uh, he actually this is no joke he actually did that it was we were playing the indiana jones and the temple of doom module and he i don't know if he was indie but he was an important character anyway and he Randy just didn't Jones. take it seriously at all. So he jumps out of the plane with nothing. Just just jumps out. Hits the side of the mountain. Does like Captain Kirk's shoulder rolls, Ro- Rolled all the way down, down the, the mountain. mountain. Off the cliff, into the stream, and eventually makes it to the shore where the, where the shaman guy is. And succeeds in every single roll. So, I mean, it was all legit. But it just totally took the piss out of all the other players. We were, we're like, still in the plane. Stupid. You know, yeah. We <laughs> so were all we were just like, like oh, oh. the hell with this game. You know, if, if he can do shit like that, then we just don't want to play. And that was like the last game we ever played. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like when I was a kid, me and my friends were would actively do the like we would play Star Wars or whatever. We would pretend to, the, to be the characters. But once it got into the the role playing game. You know, even I, I have friends, you know, to this day who meet regularly and play D and D. Yeah, yeah. We just did that for the first time in two years, uh, a couple weekends ago, and it was great. And the thing is that, like, we we kind of pulled the Uncle Randy in that <laughs> we 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 don't we don't totally you know follow all the rules. We kind of play for fun, so right. we didn't we didn't totally like jump out of planes and whatnot, but. Uh, you know, we would kind of bend the rules because we always <laughs> push the envelope like, a little. <laughs> exactly, and we always like to invite the the rule master. There's always one player who's like, "You're not doing it right," and he makes us, you know, break even more rules. So it's it's always fun whipping that guy into a frenzy and you know, casting yeah, time spells and things like that. that it's the like, nerd equivalent of a poker game. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and you always have like the the guy who's like, "No, no, that's that's not the." the way to play poker and you're like no it's okay it's just friends <laughs> don't get don't get freaked out now you said that you played the uh the tron 2 uh 2.0 game what, what did you think of it um i remember i got maybe three quarters of the way through and i got bored um but oh. yeah i know heartbreaker <laughs> i know I, I i have a hard time with first person shooters too i'm not very good at first person shooters so i didn't get very far in it either before yeah, I got f- sort of frustrated and, and lost interest, but I don't blame that on the property. I more blame that on the, the programming. You know, I think that I think the problem, if I remember now, it's, it's been a while since I played it. They try to mix like puzzle solving with first person shooter, and that's kind of a delicate balance. And, and if yes. you if you go too far in one way or the other, um, I think you you lose you know players, which I guess happened to both of us. I yeah, I I'm, I'm I don't last long with with first person shooters anyway. What was that? There was one like set in dragon or in dinosaur times. Oh, Turok. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I remember Scott, your son, highly recommended it. Said it was really good, and uh, I just couldn't. Play. It was really neat to look at, but I just couldn't. I just can't do it. Huh. I don't. I'm not I good at that first person that stuff. Huh. But um, I never, I never played a lot of that sort of stuff. I like to fly things and shoot cannons out of them. Or <laughs> I like to play, man. I uh, Tron games. I'm telling you, I got the iPod Touch, 
and it's got I don't know what it's called. It's it, but it's Tron Light Cycles, and it is great because it's right out of the movie. It starts out you know about 500 feet above the light cycles and does a zoom in and a little trace down to them and boom it's off you so go following cool. your light cycle and you're tilting your i your your iPod to steer it which That's makes it very intuitive intuitive and yeah it is it's great it's basically a total simulation of of Tron and 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 that's I think that's why we have a new Tron movie is the video games that Tron spawned were oh, so yeah. awesome and iconic that they've kept it I think the video games have kept it alive more than the actual movie has that's <laughs> funny I, I read that on the there's a, a a really awesome wiki for Tron and then there's a separate one for the Tron they call it the, the Tron franchise oh okay and according to that and I think I've heard this factoid before but according to that Tron the arcade game actually made considerably more money than Tron the movie uh-huh. which is I can see that yeah well, we were just talking. I knew played Tron the arcade game, whether they'd actually seen the movie or not. I mean, that game oh. was everywhere, and it was a huge. It was hit. fun, and it was yeah. different. Oh, yeah. It had the, it had the spinning control, and you had a joystick control for other things, and it had you know it was a, it was a bunch of mini games, yeah, and one, and and that was great. That was one that they always had on WPIX when they had the kids remote controlling the video game through TV. <laughs> but, and we were just talking last night about how Scott had, I can't remember which Atari 2600 game it was, but it came there, with There was the, a two-pack. They, they, they had two games for the 2600 that were Tron. And they called them ports, but they weren't true ports as far as like being identical to the source material. But it was a game called uh, Tron Deadly Discs, which was pretty close to the Intellivision version. Um, and then there was another one. Um, it was original on the uh, on the Intellivision platform. It was called uh, I think Mazatron, I think. Oh yeah, Mazatron. But then yeah, when it came over to twenty six hundred, they called it Adventures of Tron because oh, yeah. it was completely different from Mazatron for Intellivision. Well, what I got was I bought it. It was this special collector's edition that had both of those 2600 games in it, and it came with like this exclusive joystick, and it was a reproduction of that uh, glowing blue joystick from the arcade game. It's basically the one that you see in the movie, too, when he's playing Space Paranoids. It looks just like that one. I loved that thing, except... It sucked. It did not work. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, it was a awesome cheapo one. Yeah, it was awesome to own and like put on your shelf and brag to all your friends that came over. Oh, dude, you got the Tron joystick, but now, yeah, let's, don't let's, have to play with it because it sucks. It I'm also work. going to stress that Scott was one of those guys who had a box in the corner of his room filled with broken and beaten yes. joysticks that were just destroyed <laughs> from getting <laughs> chucked across the room, getting <laughs> smashed That's out the, in the frustration. The sounds of "God damn it!" Or just, or just I, snapped in his hands, <laughs> and that went right on. That 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 went right on into other platforms, into the Nintendos and Super Nintendos, and all of that. Yeah, the first time my mother ever heard me use the F word was because I was playing a video, video game. game. <laughs> what did you just say? Nothing. Nothing, mom. Nothing. 
Oh my god, sometimes we would be making recordings and one of us would swear on the recordings and we'd have to go back and like take the swears out just in case his mom would yes. stumble upon him. Oh, it's funny. God, I forgot. Times have changed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'd be I'd be horrified if my mother listened to any of our shows now. <laughs> Actually, so, I did play one for one time. It was the one where... Uh, you talked about Disney? <laughs> something. No, no, it was not the Disney. It was not the Disney episode. No, it was that one where I introduced something about you had killed people with a spork or some ridiculous thing. Oh. And I thought I was so clever and so funny. And I played it for my mother. And the <laughs> one thing she took away from it was, wow, you swear a lot. It was like, <laughs> any of the comedy in there at all? Was none of it funny? You know, it was. It was now you know how those. Now you know how famous comedians feel after they've yeah. become famous, yeah. and their parents go to see their show, and they're just like, "You have to talk about poop so much." And yeah, exactly. I don't want to hear about penises and stuff like that. It's... <laughs> but mom, yeah, thanks, mom. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. Well, we are almost at that uh, at that hour mark. What else? Uh, what else do we got, fellas? Or do we want to take it out there? Well, there's there's plenty of nerd stuff we could talk about, but we might want to postpone it till next time. We're we're good for as long as you're good, George. I just don't want to. I don't want to go over your your time limit. Yeah, I, I got. We will do that. Yes, <laughs> we will. <laughs> yeah, I have to jet in about five minutes, but uh, yeah, we can we can get one last zinger in there about nerdosity. Uh, what, do, what what do you have to say to to all of Nerdland? <laughs> <laughs> the message. <laughs> yeah, as an alpha message. as an alpha nerd what what do you have to pass on to the young nerdlings out there the young nerdlings i would tell them to turn off their computers turn off their xboxes and ps3s go outside into the sunlight i know it hurts you go and find a member of the opposite sex i know it hurts to talk to them <laughs> and like and go out and do something in nature and stop sitting in front of those monitors man Oh, I so need you to come over to the house and say that to my 14-year-old dude. Good luck with all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good luck. Yeah. <laughs> wrong. I'm not doing any of that shit. But, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just killed my TV recently. I just unplugged that sucker from cable and haven't turned it on in like three weeks. It's awesome. Yeah, I have a few friends who have done that as well. They're kind of just, you know, watching stuff online and, yeah, you know, yep. doing their Netflix on the Xbox thing. That's all really I have time to do anyway is pick and yep. choose something that I'm interested in, basically. Well, no, I think, you know, in five years, it'll just be all on demand and we won't have to watch the yep. crappy shows that we used to have to wait through. Yep. Oh, hey, man, I'm so, so ready for that day. I mean, I'm I'm virtually there now anyway because I download most everything. I, I wait until it's actually been you know, recorded by somebody and slapped up on some torrent or something, you know, usually like by whole seasons. Yeah. And I'll just watch stuff that, that way, like you say, you don't have to sit through shitty shows. You don't have to channel surf waiting for something to, good to come on. You know, you don't have to sit through commercials. Cause I, yeah, I can't stand my time has become. I get a great thrill value. every time I watch it downloaded. Like when I was watching the next generation and it would go boom and go to a commercial and it's, I just feel so smug sitting here going, well, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's coming right back. I'm, exactly. getting, problem. Yeah. I'm getting my gratification right now. Awesome. <laughs> And and 
I've been giving this recommendation to everybody is a, is a good download because it's not on American TV. I guess it's just on the CBC. But the Kids in the Hall just finished a new like oh, mini yeah. mini series. It's an eight part continuous storyline called Death Comes to Town. Awesome. You know where they where they play all the characters in it, and it's hilarious. The character of Death is worth the price of admission, which is free. <laughs> which is free, yeah. Anyway, you know. But, the, yeah, just, just the character of Death in it is one of the more entertaining things the kids in the hall have ever come up with. And That's it's got great. a lot of the... It's got a few old characters get tossed in the mix here and there, but it's all set in a small town in, in Canada, and, oh, it's just great. Nice. So after telling the kids to, like, shut down their computers, now we're telling them, oh, you got to download this. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I'm... <laughs> yeah. But if you don't, this is what you should do. I also, I just, I also cheated and read the new Walking Dead script that's floating uh, out there for the pilot. Yeah, that, I'm going to stay clear of that because I don't, I really don't want to be spoiled. I want to be either pleasantly surprised or, or absolutely horrified, unknowingly, it's, though. It's very, I was, it was, it's a, it's one of the best written scripts I've read in a long time. Well, that's it, Frank Darabont, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's amazing. So it's, 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 I'm sure it's going to be awesome. It's, it's very, you know, you, you, I mean, he's just, he's, good at just the bare bones of getting across what it's going to look like and what it's going to you know the the story and what it's going to look like you can completely visualize it by reading the script it was very tight i'm just i'm I'm a little bit nervous with him being attached to the project only because my favorite stephen king story of all time the one that i had waited and prayed years and years that they would you can just consider doing like a, a you know like maybe a tv movie or an episode of some anthology show or you know god forbid a big budget movie was the mist mm-hmm. and they finally do it and i thought it was clicking along it was perfect it was everything i had in my mind's eye reading and rereading that story over the years and then they got right to the ending and totally botched it and i i so i'm nervous in that aspect i don't want to see the same thing repeated with you see i i I, Dead. I don't want him to inject I, his vision into walking Dead. i don't I just you see that's see the thing is i think his vision is more super in line with the walking dead so he doesn't really you know that dark end the dark ending of of you know his ending that he spliced on to the mist is Generally, the way the direction a lot of The Walking Dead goes in, anyway. That's true. That, yeah. So that is he doesn't true. really have to rewrite it, and I mean, he cleaves really close to the storyline, at least in the in the trailer. Right. So, I I I've just noticed he definitely doesn't like to uh, pull punches. So that's a, that's good. Yeah. That's a good a nice, sign. Yeah, that'll be a nice mix with uh, with, with Walking uh, Dead's yeah Kirkman's template because he doesn't pull punches either. Hey, George, before we let you go, two things. Um, things you most want to see, things you don't want to see in uh, the second Tron movie. And also, uh, you got anything you want to pimp or promote or talk up or anything like that? <laughs> no, not really on the latter, but things things that I don't want to see in the new Tron movie, I would say number one would be surfing the Internet. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm afraid. You're going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I just—it's it, just gonna happen. Now you're talking literally like surfboard 
type surfing, yeah. right? There's gonna yeah, be web, there's gonna be web surfing. You know, yeah, I I know for I heard I definitely heard from somebody who read the script that there are viruses and and worms. See, I it. can live with that because they had that in Tron 2.0, the video game, and I thought it was done really, really cool. You know, the the way they incorporated it because I, I don't know how far you guys ever got into that game, but. The, the main storyline of that was that this virus was taking over the, the computer world and corrupting things. And so you would actually go into entire sequences where you're walking along and it's the traditional Tron look to everything with the sharp angles and all that. And all of a sudden you would go into a section of the world that had become corrupted. And it was all like broken and busted up and a glow with like this ooze and stuff. And it looked... It really looked full of computer good. hookers and no, pimps no, and drug like dealers. That. It was just ah, no, it wasn't anything like that. But trying uh, to sell you herbal Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, is your penis too small? Come here. Ah, you're just wrong. I'm not wrong. That's exactly how it would be. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right with all the web ads <laughs> that are out there and stuff. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. Yeah. When are we going to see more uh, more Clone Wars episodes out of you? Well, um, I uh, I kind of you know we were talking earlier, but I I have a couple of my own things that are in early stages now, so I'm going to be uh, focusing on those and see see if anything uh, gets some heat. But uh, yeah, it might be a while. It might be a while. Well, we definitely want you back. Not only, not only for that. Not only do we want the uh, keep us up <laughs> the on exclusive that exclusive yeah. on that, but also you <laughs> right. know, any any time you want to come back and talk about anything geeky, we we always enjoy having you, and you you always have a, a, a welcome spot on our show. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to to kind of just nerd out with you guys. So yeah, feel free to, to drop me an email anytime. I'm happy to, to nerd out, as you guys know. So just give a shout. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, are you going to Dragon Con this year? Um, I'm not sure because of these things that are happening right now. I, I may not be able to, and conversely, I may have to go. So I don't know right now. But <laughs> yeah, I'll let you guys. Know also, yeah, it. please, please let us know. We'd we'd love to uh, we'd love to hook up with you. We got to get you to the first Nerd Illuminati meeting. <laughs> yes, I, I like that terminology. <laughs> yeah, if you've got the, I don't know when you when you came like. I mean, was last year your first year? Or you come every year, or how does that work usually? Last year was my second year, but second for year? the past ten years, you know, my friends have been telling me, "Hey, I know you're you're, you're not down with Comic Con anymore, and you kind of want the the whole nerd experience again. You should come to Dragon Con." And I kept going, "Nah, I don't want to do it." And then, you know, two years ago, I went, and it was amazing. I mean, you guys know this. It's just, yeah. it's so not about the companies or what they're pimping. It's just about. People who are enthused about something, yeah. letting it all hang out. It's like, okay, if you love the tick and you're dressed like a huge blue dude walking around, good for you, you know. Whereas right. yeah. Comic Con, it's like if there's a huge blue dude, he's sponsored by Universal because they're coming out with a new video game. You're like, ah, really? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I really dug about it. I just want to get a whole group of people and and rent out a whole floor of the Hilton and Animal House style. Yeah. And what's that movie? Bachelor Party. We could just have the giant yeah. Bachelor Party style <laughs> entire floor. And just you'd, you'd have like just chunks of people sitting around talking about Buck Rogers or Tron uh, or Hawkman. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could have different rooms for different focuses. 
Exactly. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the Tron Room, Tron 24 7. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Guys. Well, thank you again so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys and looking forward to nerding out some more soon. Hey, thanks I'm for sure joining we will. us. Right on. We really appreciate your friendship. Totally. Same here, guys. Be well and keep rocking it. Hey, take care, man. Take care, guys. Illegal program termination. All right, so I think that's going to wrap it up for our Tron show. Um, I think we've got, actually, some other Tron projects in the back burner, right, don't we? Absolutely we do. Well, first of all, let me again say thank you to George Kirstick for yeah. joining us this episode. He is always a delight. Uh, really enjoy having him on the show. He's such one of us, you know, just a total geek fanboy. I love it. It's just... It's awesome to me to, to know that somebody working on, you know, Star Wars, one of our, you know, absolutely beloved childhood things is, is just one of us. That's just an awesome, awesome feeling. And George is just a great guy. So, again, thanks us. for joining with one, yeah, one, one of us. One of us. Um, but, yes, we do have a big treat for you guys, you listeners. We are going to do a commentary, another one. If you remember our awesome RoboCop commentary that everybody loved, we're going to do everybody. another one, and it's going to be Tron. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an ear out for that. That will be coming along. Hopefully, hopefully we're shooting for being about the same week, give or take, that this episode comes out if uh, if the stars align and all that bullshit. It all so, depends on the U.S. Postal Service, baby. There you go. There you go. Exactly. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this. We enjoyed it. We've been trying to get to this one for the longest time. I've been itching to get to this one. Hope I didn't geek out too hard for you, but hey, love Tron. So later, guys. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Good line.